106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Cancel my debt is trending on social media and it is just as stupid and obnoxious as it sounds. Pushed by Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren as part of her free college for everyone soapbox, the campaign asked people to tell their stories about living under crippling student loan debt. Now that's debt that they voluntarily took out for a degree that they chose and don't plan to give back, by the way. The hashtag prompted tens of thousands of responses from people complaining about the interest on the loans that they, again, voluntarily took out and are now demanding the taxpayers help them pay back. Threaded throughout these responses was one common claim that young people are being forced to go into debt to attend college in order to get a high-paying job. Now let me break this down very, very simply. That is a lie. For example, here are just a few jobs that don't require college degrees and the average yearly salary that you could expect to make. Plumber, electrician, power line installer, and truck driver. Now, if those sound dull or you don't want to break a nail, here are a few others. For example, web developer, dental hygienist, you could be a commercial pilot, or even a nuclear tech, or you could be a transportation storage and distribution manager. All of those make good money. Now, many of these jobs do require training programs and licensing certifications that can take several years. That's because nothing in life comes free and you actually have to work to get what you want. But they don't require you to take out 200 grand from Sally Mae to go to Ivory Tower's Emporium of Knowledge and Brainwashing just to get a degree in Native American linguistics that'll probably net you a 40K a year job in New York City. See, the problem isn't that you had to go to college to get a good job. You just didn't want that job. You wanted to be able to chase your dreams like a butterfly through a field of daffodils, even if it cost you 150 grand to do it. And when reality caught up with you, you demanded that someone else come and fill the hole that you dug for yourself. Let me be perfectly clear. I am not saying that people shouldn't go to college or pursue the career that they want. I did. I took out some loans, chose a school I could afford, chose a field I knew I could get a job in, worked my butt off, and paid back my very manageable debt, all within the last 10 years. Many others have too. So if you want to be a lawyer, go be a lawyer. Make a plan, borrow the money, become a lawyer, and pay the money back. But before you take out 200 grand in a loan debt for a degree in lesbian dance theory, maybe consider whether that's the smartest move. Pick a cheaper school, pick a different degree, pick a trade, pick the military. These are called choices. They're yours. And it is not on the rest of us to pay for them. Well, good day to you. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. I guess you probably figured that out because somehow your podcast uh, notifier was set off, or somebody told you to go to No Hostages Radio 
com, and you found us. So uh, welcome. Uh, you're if you're new to this, uh, you're into our ninth episode. But you could also uh, go back and listen to the previous eight if you cared to, and look at some articles that I write each week for the Territorial Dispatch at the NoHostagesRadio.com website. So thank you for uh, connecting with us through your podcast source or on the on the internet, and uh, just spread the words if you like the show. Uh, put the word out. Our uh, I was just talking to Tanner, our techie, who keep actually keeps me going over here. And he mentioned that uh, we've doubled in the number of people from a couple hundred to over 500 or about 500 um, in the last few weeks. So we've just been on the uh, podcast for nine sessions now. You're listening to this on June 1, uh, 2019 or afterwards. And uh, we'll be here, if this is new for you, about three hours. We don't have to have any uh, advertisements from, like, Fox News or any particular newscast. So when I take a break about every 30 minutes, I play you some clips of uh, informational clips that I think are important to know about. So uh, my goal is to have an aware populace. And our founding fathers felt that if uh, the country did not have a citizenry that was familiar with what what was going on in the country, how the country should operate, and what was shaken, uh, their ignorance would, would cause the downfall of the country. And so if you wonder how in the world did we get to where we are in 2019, that's because people uh, are kind of fat and sassy in the United States, lethargic. The Bible says that's a bad way to be in life. Uh, and it can lead to a great downfall in your own personal life, or it can lead to a downfall in a business or a marriage or in a whole country. So our forefathers were much more uh, informed and intelligent and passionate about what makes America America than those who are living today. Many of them graduated from school without any idea of where we came from, in fact, a lot of times they've been told inaccurate information about how we got to where we got today. So we have an ignorant population that is easily manipulated. Founding fathers felt if you were educated, you knew what was going on, uh, you would be uh, not easily influenced or deceived. But uh, like the saying goes, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And there's lots of folks falling for all kinds of foolishness today. So one of my goals is to uh, keep you informed. Obviously, I speak with a bias like anyone. I have a very conservative bias. I don't particularly have allegiance to a particular political party, but I'm far more conservative than most Republican folks I know. And uh, so a lot of times we'll talk about national news, sometimes international, but national state, which is California for us. If you're new to this, we're broadcasting out of Yuba County, uh, one of the 58 counties in Northern California or in California, the Northern California, 24 uh, counties in the most most north part of California actually desire to break off and create a new state called the state of Jefferson and, uh, of course, Yuba, uh, Yuba County uh, is a rural county, but here we are. We're broadcasting here, 
And so we talk about local affairs up here. You might think, well, that's not really relevant to me. I live in Missouri or I live in Idaho. I live in Oregon. I live in Texas. But the fact is, unfortunately, a lot of the things that start in California, good or bad, end up drifting into the rest of the country. In this case, I'm referring to a lot of bad things because I sometimes call California Calazuela, uh, patterning itself after Venezuela, because uh, socialism is having free sway here in the state. Uh, politicians, liberal, the liberal sort, have controlled the state for over five, uh, about five decades now, about 50 years. And uh, so they have their way. They control both houses of our legislature in Sacramento, so they can pretty much get whatever they want. They, and they, it, hardly a week goes by that they don't raise some fee, surcharge, or tax. And more and more, if, if you tax people, you control that part of their lives. Uh, and if you can control the purse of the person, you control their lives. And between controlling people through uh, benefits that the government gets from them by money, they also control us by reg numerous regulations. When you can water the, water the yard, when you can wash your car, how much water you can use in a day. Uh, uh, it's just... Uh, you know, it's interesting. We started with the Ten Commandments, and now we have, they say, maybe 20,000 laws or something like that, 20,000 regulations. I don't. I think it's probably more than that. I don't think the average person even knows what they're, what, how criminal they are. When they pass more laws, they make more criminals out of honest people. Well, uh, even though it's June 1, and, and we've passed the month of May, which uh, it was a real focus on the military— and on law enforcement, I felt like I needed to go back and touch on more of this. And so there's a real a remembrance theme here today on some of the clips I've chosen and as well as some of the uh, uh, discussion I want to have with you. I don't I'm a slow learner. And so it seems like what I should have learned 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I'm becoming more appreciative of today. And I don't know about you, uh, but did it seem to you like there was much more focus on Memorial Day and and the uh, service that people rendered for the, the country than normal? Around me, it just seemed like there was a lot more talk and appreciation of Memorial Day, uh, either on social media or in the media in general, et cetera, et cetera. So, or maybe I'm just getting more sensitive to it, but... I saw a post on social media today about three different days to honor veterans. And they're, they are Armed Forces Day, Veterans Day, and Memorial Day. So Armed Forces Day, just if you don't know the difference between the three or among the three, Armed Forces Day uh, is for those who currently serve and wear the uniform. Veterans Day is to honor those who used to wear the uniform, used to serve. Memorial Day is for those who never made it out of uniform. Let me share those once more so you, hopefully you'll get this. Armed Forces Day is to appreciate those who currently wear the uniform, serving somewhere around the world. Veterans Day is for those who already served and once wore the uniform. And Memorial Day is for those who never made it out of the uniform. In other words, they died for the cause. Pretty interesting. Now, in just a few days, 
uh, it will be June 6. And on June 6, 1944, something very significant happened. And a lot of times where you, you hear these acronyms or phrases like D-Day, and they don't really mean much unless you were living during the time of D-Day and, and this, how you, that scared the hell out of you, right? It, it brought fear to your heart. Uh, because your sons and your daughters and your cousins and your fathers were going to be involved in a in a fight that probably would kill many of them. So when we entered the war, well, we were actually attacked first by the Japanese. You remember that at Pearl Harbor? So we we responded by declaring war on the Japanese, and then we included Germany in that. And so, uh, and that was in the 1941. This is in June 6, 1944. Now, the interesting thing is when we look in hindsight and we think, oh, yeah, that was a war went on for four or five years for us. But when our forefathers joined the military to serve in World War II, it was not for any particular period of time. It was till they either got killed or they, or they won the war. Uh, it was a fight to the death. It was a fight to the end and see who the victor was because if we were to have lost to either of the Japanese or the German Nazis, uh, this country's constitution would have been rendered of no effect and we would have been taken over and we would have been an occupation, uh, occupied territory. So in 1944, June 6th, more than 160,000 allied troops landed along a 50 mile stretch of heavily fortified French coastline. So, the, the the country of France had already been uh, taken over by the Nazis. They conceded to them. But there was a French resistance. But the Nazis had set up heavy armaments, uh, tanks and uh, all kinds of major big guns along the coastline to protect against any onslaught. So a 50-mile stretch of heavily fortified uh, French, French coastline on the beaches of what we call Normandy, France. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was the uh, leader of Allied forces, and he, after the war he would later become president of the United States for eight years, he called uh, the operation a crusade in which, quote, we will accept nothing less than full victory. More than 5,000 ships, just to think of that, 5,000 ships and 13,000 aircraft supported the D-Day invasion. And by day's end, the Allies gained a foothold in, the con in continental Europe. That was their first attempt to set foot on European soil to take back the nations and free them from the Nazis. The cost in lives on D-Day was very, very high. More than 9,000 Allied soldiers were either killed or wounded that day. But their sacrifice allowed more than 100,000 soldiers to begin the slow, hard slog across Europe to defeat Hitler's crack forces. So uh, that's a whole other story. But, but I thought I would mention that about the, uh, the month of May, which is honoring law enforcement, whether they served, were serving, or died in their service. And also we include law enforcement in that as well, since they're the home homeboys and homegirls 
The founding fathers felt we needed a really small government for a couple of reasons. One is to deal with foreign powers that wanted to attack us, number, number one. Number two was to deal with powerful people in our communities that had lost their minds and were running renegade and uh, against God and full of sin. And they felt like there needed to be a law enforcement force to do what? Enforce the law. Right. Each community was going to have a set of rules where everybody needed to play well together. So that's why we honor law enforcement as well as uh, others on in May. Now, June uh, D-Day, as I mentioned, coming up on June 6. So it's a good opportunity to honor those. Now, in our area, we have a Beale Air Force Base. It used to be an Army base in World War Two. But then when they shut down the war, they converted it into an Air Force base. And now it, it uh, is host to spy planes, U-2 and Global Hawk and all those kind of things. So in our community, we get a chance to run into military people, whether you work out or you're, you eat. You might see them at a restaurant or anywhere around town. Maybe they, they coach soccer or whatever. So it's a great opportunity that it never is um, – too small of an act to, to say thank you to them, appreciate your service, buy them their meal, whatever, whatever. So uh, just think of that, and uh, hope, hopefully that will educate you on some of the, uh, the costs that were paid and some of the uh, costs that are being paid right now to keep us uh, safe and available to go out and have a barbecue on a Memorial Day last weekend or to even go out and go uh, skiing or fishing or whatever on that extra day off we get. I wanted to also mention in regards to the military and law enforcement about the missing man table. I don't know if you've ever known about this. I was a chaplain uh, for law enforcement and fire for many years. And so occasionally I would attend uh, some kind of an event to honor law enforcement or fire or something, and they would... Uh, they'd have a banquet and then there would be a small table that was called the missing man table. And I didn't quite know what it all meant, though I knew it had to do with the loss of life. So recently there was a photo taken in Chick-fil-A restaurant in our Chick-fil-A restaurant. I guess in each Chick-fil-A, they set up a missing man table uh, to honor and appreciate those that have given their life in the line of duty. And so Chick-fil-A is a restaurant that many, many people love to eat at, but liberals love to hate. And so this photo is especially memorable to me. But you may not have heard of the missing uh, man table or what the significance of it is. But I'm going to tell you right now. So what it is is a small table is set for one, symbolizing the isolation of of the absent service member. The table is usually set close to or within sight of the entrance of the dining room. For large events, the missing man table may be a set for even six places uh, representing each of the five armed services, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard. With the sixth six symbolizing the civilians who died during armed conflict, the table is to represent the everlasting concern the survivors have for the missing among us. Next, one or more head covers may be placed upon the table representing the armed service of the missing person. A white tablecloth, 
is to symbolize the pure intentions of the service member who responded to the country's call to arms. Next, a single rose in the vase symbolizes the blood that service members have shed in sacrifice to ensure the freedom of the United States of America. The rose also represents the family and friends who kept the faith while awaiting the return of their missing loved one. Next, the red ribbon represents the love of country that inspired the service members to serve the country in the first place. A slice of lemon lemon on the bread plate represents the bitter fate of the missing. A salt sprinkled on the bread plate symbolizes the tears shed by, by waiting families. Next, an inverted glass represents the fact that the missing and falling cannot partake. A Bible represents the spiritual strength and faith to sustain the loss. This, however, may be omitted in certain displays where they're of only a secular nature, which is sad. A lit candle symbolizes a light, the light of hope that lives in hearts to illuminate the missing, missing person's way home. And finally, an empty chair to represent the absence of the missing and fallen. Well, I'm sure you, if you lived someplace very long, uh, you have known of or known law enforcement officials or fire officials that have died from some some cause. And uh, so you might see this uh, ceremonial honor portrayed at a banquet of all law enforcement people or special events like this and called a missing man table. All right. So um, I wanted to... Uh, mentioned that we are on the air, uh, not so much as a commercial venture, but as a uh, conspiracy venture. We're trying to conspire to change the views or strengthen the views of many people that believe in the Constitution. They believe in law and order. They believe in spite of any all our imperfections as a country. We, uh, we are the greatest country on earth. It's not an ego trip. It's just an appreciation. We like to be here. And the fact is, th- we're one of the few countries in the world that if you want to leave, you can leave. And there are no repercussions. You can leave. You can go to any other country in the world that will take you, and you can live there happily ever after. No hard feelings. We just all kind of move on. And uh, so we have a... Uh, we are here to, to spread the word. We love the country. We love the Constitution. We're grateful for our forefathers. We don't think they're perfect, but no one is perfect except Jesus. And so we are uh, holding on to that, holding fast to that, learning more and more about the, what the founding fathers taught. And then we highlight the areas that are so separate from or different from those early years. So one guy that is a big supporter of this program is a guy named Monty Hecker, who owns Elite Universal Security. Monty's a, uh, a retired uh, veteran, and uh, you can reach him in Yuba County at 530-749-0280. That's 749-0280. The interesting thing about Monty's group is that uh, at one time you didn't need so much of his service because people were better behaved and law enforcement could be counted on to track down n- ne'er-do-wells. 
But Monty, Monty's business is booming because people are turning to private um, policing units, if you will, to protect their house or protect their business or to be there when they need to take a deposit to the, the bank or whatever, whatever. So uh, he started this elite universal security, and it, it operates in Chico, Redding, Yuba City, Marysville, Yuba and Sutter County, Butte, uh, all the way up north to, I think that's Shasta County. And uh, they do a lot more than just do security. They do security for businesses, farming, individuals, lots of things. They actually troubleshoot and figure out how to catch people that are camping or doing some weird stuff on your property. And uh, the are located in Yuba County, I'll give you the phone number, 530-749-0280. That's 530-749-0280. They also have lots of classes. The classes, though, are uh, on a spring or summer break right now, however you want to call it, uh, in June. So all the teachers are taking a break so they can all be gone at the same time. However, all the security continues to go for all the go forward, all the protection, and uh, you can get signed up for classes coming up later if you go on their uh, website at api-academy.com. You can go check out their classes. Uh, but all all I have a list for them for is up through the end of May, which we're we're actually there now. So uh, also they have a, a website at EliteUniversalSecurity.com, and you could go there and find jobs. They're advertising. I, I'm amazed. I, I just saw a couple uh, advertisements in our, our city, uh, people wanting truck drivers and people wanting people to work with trucks. It was, uh, you know, I think there's some, a lot of good jobs out there. So if you go into Elite Universal Security, you'll find there, if you're interested in schooling, they do a lot of in-house schooling on all kinds of topics, guard card training, pepper spray training, handcuff training, taser certification training, all kinds of different types of training. And again, they're not doing it this this month, uh, but but you can call and sign up for it next month, right? Uh, You can also, here's a couple services when you need them. You don't need them a lot of times, but when you need them, you got to have them, and that's a live scan. Law enforcement does it, but they only do it on certain days of the week. And then uh, also they'll do a mobile notary service. How often do you need a notary? I haven't used I haven't used a notary in about 20, 30 years. But when you need one, you need one, right? Or your property won't sell or you can't buy a piece of property. you got to have a notary. So I want to thank uh, Monty Hecker for that, for his support. He's been a good friend and a supporter. And... Um, also, Dave Greenitz is a second one. I'll cover the third one later. Uh, it's Greenitz, G-R-E-E-N, green, like the color, with E-T-Z on the end, GreenitzConstruction.com. He is a specialist in bathroom, kitchen remodels, decks, front doors, and whole house fans. Now, if you don't know what a whole house fan is and you live in the San, San Carmelo, uh Valley, you're going to want to know about whole house fans because they'll cut your utility bill way down. They'll tell you what it's going to take. Uh, so you can get a whole house like right now. It's about, I don't know, it must be about 85 right now. And you could hook up a whole house fan and and uh, have Dave do that for you. And you can cut down your utility bill, which is running about 60 percent higher than the national average. 
So you want a you want a bathroom that's to die for or kitchen. Front you know front end entrance to your house deck whole house fan Greenitz is a guy you could go to his construction site the website greenitzconstruction.com and check out his work without him saying oh I do the best work in town when people say they're the best oh this is I do the best food in town I said well just let me eat some of that food and I'll tell you whether it's the best in town let me be the judge of that so uh, you can go on his website he has a Facebook page Dave Greenitz Construction and uh, or you could call him at 530-682-9602 530-682-9602 and uh, but honestly before you call him uh, go and check out his uh, his Facebook and his website and it will blow your mind now uh, one thing you can count on with these guys Monty and Dave is that when you call them they respond it's not like, oh, well, we might respond. Oh, well, if it gets a little less busy, we'll respond. No, they're going to respond. They're going to do a good job. So uh, those are a couple of people I have some more to meet, uh, introduce you to later. Now, I saw this on um, social media. There's a picture of a guy named Pete Buttigieg. The way it's written is B-U-T-T-I-G-I-E-G. Looks like Buttigieg. But I'll go with what everybody else is calling him, Pete Buttigieg. Now, the interesting thing is he's a mayor of a city, but but he has a a male partner that they, I guess they got married somewhere, and so they claim they're a married couple, but there's no females involved. And so it wasn't too long ago that he went out attacking Mike, Mike Pence for his Christian beliefs about homosexuality. Well, I don't even know what he knows about uh, Pence's re- religious beliefs, um, but maybe he should he could check it out. But he kind of twisted his beliefs, and so he attacked Pence about his Christian beliefs on homosexuality. And because Pete, he's running for president, right? But this uh, this post from the Patriot says, however. Buttigieg has never, ever attacked Muslims for their beliefs about homosexuality, despite how they imprison, behead, hang, or throw homosexuals to their deaths from rooftops. Now, don't you find that fascinating that liberals who are so quick to attack Christians because the Bible uh, condemns all kinds of extracurricular sexual activity other than having sex with your wife? It actually says it's better not only better, but it's a must to just stick to having sex with your wife and not with everybody else in town, including people of the same gender. That's what it says about it. It didn't say God hates those people. It just said, hey, it's the wrong kind of behavior. You need to change that. So, but Buttigieg, he, oh, you know, the left always makes a big racist issue out of everything. And, uh, and then they make a religious homophobe issue out of other things about their uh, homosexuality. It's not good enough that you say, you're okay, I'm okay. They want you to say, you really love what they do and what they stand for, and I'm okay. In other words, you, you can't just accept and let them live, you know, live in peace, if you will. But you have to actually endorse the behavior and say, I think it's wonderful, and it's, uh, agree with Pete that God made him this way. If I had a problem with his sexuality, see, I think he's the one that said you, 
You've got to take it up with God himself. Well, I'm not going to bother with asking God about that question when I get there. I'm just going to ignore old Pete. But that's a situation with Pete. That's a little intro that uh, I'll just throw in for free. Now, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to play some clips about the government and the military later on today during our break. So don't don't like run and get a tuna sandwich, Turnham, because they're actually probably going to be better than me live. So uh, I just read another article. There's all kinds of radio broadcasts and articles about Catholic priests molesting kids, pedophile priests. Now, the, the Catholics set up this uh, environment to cause pedophiles and homosexuals to move in because they said, listen, we don't want men to marry uh, women while they're priests. So it's a perfect setup for pedophiles to get access to children and and young women and young guys. And uh, so in Poland, there is is a meltdown happening throughout the country where a lot of these priests who were big in the revolution against the communists are kind of like heroes are now being outed in a documentary called tell no one tell no one. Um, and so it's rocking the country, but you can look that up. Tell no one. You can look at the documentary, uh, on YouTube. And so we had all, so anyway, you can you can check that out and and see what you think about it. So what's happening is in the uh, the Catholic Church. There's a lot of wonderful people that I know that love God, love Jesus, and are faithful Christian followers that attend the Catholic meetings. But what's happened is the Catholics have set up a system of leadership with these single men, many of whom are homosexuals that is uh, putting people in really vulnerable situations to uh, be taken advantage of and had sex with uh, and then hide it for 30, 40 years. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about this and tell you about a really cool Catholic high school uh, that is doing something wonderful for homeless veterans. Uh, We'll do that uh, when we come back in just a minute. Thank you. is a lie. The devil is a lie. Now, first of all, how y'all gonna eat? Who about to feed 7,000 people and on whose dime? Because you're not about to eat on my dime. Not a not an enchilada, not a taco bowl, not a chalupa, not even a teaspoon of sour cream. Not on my dime. And where y'all gonna live, huh? With Maxine Waters, with uh, Nancy Pelosi? Because I can guarantee you, they will not let you 
you in their neighborhood. Hell, Maxine Waters don't even take care of the people in her district. And hold up. Y'all looking like y'all having too much fun jumping up and down, screaming and acting a fool. Y'all acting like y'all about to go to the circus. And y'all supposed to be running from trouble? Bull crap. And it's close to midterms too? Bull crap. This was set up. Prove me wrong. For three years, Democrats and the media peddle conspiracy theories about Russian collusion. They undermine the credibility of our elections, while the Obama administration actually spied on his political opponents. They told outrageous, fantastic lies that President Donald J. Trump was even a Russian agent. They called for an investigation, a special counsel, and they got it. And after that investigation, one which was founded on a hoax concocted by crooked cops and their enablers in power, completely and totally exonerated President Trump and everyone on the 2016 campaign, the Democrats kept lying and slandering Team Trump. There's a lesson here. The Russian hoax is what happens when you take on the establishment. The swamp will stop at nothing to destroy all of us, including the lives and reputations of anyone that gets in their way, all because they hate President Trump. Freedom and justice cannot be reserved for a few select people, or the liberty and rights of all of us are in jeopardy. This is why the establishment cannot win in 2020. They'll take control like we've never seen before. It's time for the investigators to be investigated. All right, welcome back. Uh, as I was mentioning before the break, there's a documentary called Tell No One that you could see on YouTube that tells about the uh, decades of abuse by pedophiles uh, homosexual pedophiles and heterosexual pedophiles, uh, abuse of Poland's young people. I won't go through all the details, but they're having a meltdown over, over there. Also, I've been listening the last week or two of advertisements on the radio about a class action case against the Diocese of Southern California of Catholics, and they are, have created a fund to pay off those that have been victims over the years. And and you, they're asking you to you don't necessarily have to go before a court or whatever, but you just have to let them know what happened, who did it, when it happened, etc. So recently there was an article that I talked to you about maybe a couple of weeks ago about the diocese of Northern California based in Sacramento, and it actually listed the men uh, who were the perpetrators, the priests that were the perpetrators. And actually list the dates of the the dates uh, where the uh, abuse took place, and so many people were reporting in the 1990s or 2000s, but the abuse took place in the 70s or 80s, and then so it told who did the abuse. It didn't tell about the victims, but who did the abuse and who were they? Who were they serving? You know, in other words, which parish were they serving in? And uh, so I read a bunch of those because some of them, in, in uh, the people that were accused, served in both Marysville and Yuba City at the, the different uh, local Catholic parishes. So um, this Tell No One, uh, a journalist, put this thing together, Thomas Sikilski. And uh, it's rocking the world over there in Poland. Now, I don't know whether it's in Polish and maybe in some English subtitles, but if you wanted to look at it, they say it's pretty powerful. Uh, 
Uh, so it's interesting to me to listen to all that's going on in the Catholic Church in terms of this uh, loophole or window of abuse that single men could take advantage of by getting the confidence and appreciation of the congregation and ended up having sex with so many of the young people. And and then they walked away, uh, either tried to make, make a statement about it, but ended up walking away and living with it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So it's the same type of thing that uh, happened here locally with Jim Whitaker, who was a high school uh, physical education teacher, and I think he probably taught a, a class or so. But women came out uh, this last uh, year and a half ago. A young youngster came out that Jim Whitaker grabbed her bottom. And then other women that were older women, uh, accomplished women, parents, uh, workers in the marketplace, people that are in their 30s, came back and, and said, me too. They didn't want money. They didn't want... Uh, they didn't want uh, they just wanted to get rid of them and quit abusing young women. And uh, so anyhow, it, it worked uh, with the Yuba City Unified School District. But in the Catholic Church, what's happened is that these men have actually been protected by the church hierarchy by uh, kind of sweeping the problem under the rug and moving them to a new parish or doing something with them to get them away from that group of kids thinking, oh, well, it's a one-time deal, da-da-da-da. So uh, anyway, you can look some of these things up and find them. But but I, I ran in this week, I ran into a great story about a Catholic high school in Massachusetts that holds funerals for homeless veterans. Now, it's fascinating to me because high schools are constantly on the lookout to, instead of just having kids sit in class all day, is to look for ways that they could become good citizens and serve somehow in the community and contribute to the community. There's a lot of private organizations that use high school high school kids this way uh, in sports and also in uh, key club, a leadership club, or things like that where they go out and serve the community. But I'm I'm really so impressed by this Catholic Memorial School. They call it CM School, Catholic Memorial School located in West Roxbury, Massachusetts. It's an all-boys school. And so uh, this writer is is writing it from the first, first person. He says, I'm greeted by a wooden casket hoisted on the shoulders of eight high school basketball players as I enter the lobby of Catholic Memorial School in early January. An American flag covers the casket. At 8 p.m., I expect a tired expression across the face of each young man and wonder how they will navigate the halls to the narrow chapel. But stoic and calm, the boys looked at ease. They walked tall, proud, and sure-footed. Their composure surprised me and as they made their way into the school chapel. Following the procession, I scanned the room to find an open seat, but the school's theology classes packed every pew. I stood in the left back corner next to the tabernacle and watched the scene unfold. The mood felt different than most funerals. Every person in the room, faculty member and student alike, seemed to know their surroundings. If anything, it gave the school's fifth funeral service for a homeless military 
veteran more of a welcoming mood than that of a somber goodbye. A little unsettled, the author said, I kept thinking back to my first day of work at Catholic Memorial School, or what they call CM School. I remembered Vice Principal Tim, uh, Tom Ryan gave the school's new faculty a sound piece of advice. He said, quote, if you want to let a student know that they're really loved, call them by their name. Not like, hey, buddy, hey, you, uh, hey, miss, right? After all, Ryan said, someone loved them enough to give them a name at one time. When a person calls someone by their name, it shows the, the person that they matter, that they exist in the eyes of at least one other person. But what happens when nobody knows their name? And what happens when those who knew it no longer exist? Who reminds them of their own dignity then? The question began to flood my mind. This is the author or the, uh, the author of this article. The question began to flood my mind in the middle of Father Peter Stam's opening prayer. At the sound of the deceased name, U.S. Army veteran Timothy Fowle, I remember thinking, who? Nobody knew Mr. Fowl at Catholic Memorial School. Few people outside the school's all-boys Rexbury, West Rexbury, Massachusetts campus knew him either. In the days leading up to the, to the new year, a homeless Amer- Army veteran, Timothy Fowl, passed away at the Brookton VA Hospital, miles away from the Garden Street Shelter in Worcester, where records show he used to reside. He deserves better, really. The man sacrificed six years of his life to serve his nation as a medical specialist in the 1980s. He worked as a welder in the years that followed before following on hard times. Years later, his trail went cold. Uh, at his death, Fowl left behind no family, no friends, nothing. He received not one goodbye. At the time of his death, Mr. Fowl left behind no known families uh, or friends, as I mentioned before. Uh, and his body was given to <clears throat> Lawler and Crosby Funeral Home, uh, and he needed a proper burial. So, But there was no one to bury some. So you ever, ever wondered if, if, you, so, if somebody dies and there's no, they don't have any people, who takes charge? Well, in, in California, the, the coroner, the deputy coroner or medical examiner would take charge, and he would provide a burial if there's no other recourse. So, but something unique happened here. Kevin Durazo, the director of the campus ministry at this school, began the tradition of providing funerals for veterans with no known living friends or family two years ago when CM hockey team uh, laid to rest veteran John Fitzmaurice. So, uh, so this Kevin Durazo came up with this idea and said, hey, I think this is amazing. You know, schools are always looking for some way for their kids to get involved in something relevant. So Durazo comes up with this incredible idea, and the school considers it now a part of its mission to welcome those on the margins into their community an active and engaging way for an adolescent boy, this is a boys' school, to understand the concept of empathy. So at CM, as they call it, uh, serving means to walk with, not ahead of another person. Those students collectively complete over 15,000 hours 
of required service work each year, they do not receive hours for their participation in the funeral. So it's all donated and they get no credit for it. It's just, hey, we're doing this out of the, because it's the right thing to do and out of the goodness of our heart. So Mr. Durazo receives a phone call when there's a, a veteran in this case, uh, in this situation, from Lawler and Crosby Funeral Homes. And then he invites a different student group to host the service and run the service. At past funerals, uh, for instance, the hockey team, the football team, uh, they've all volunteered to serve as pallbearers. I wish I, you know, unfortunately we're on podcast and I can't show you, but there's a photograph of these young men in their school uh, blazers and their school white shirts and ties all matching carrying uh, these uh, dead servicemen in a casket. It's pretty powerful stuff right here. So the school partners with Lawler and Crosby to coordinate the casket, the hearse, the transportation needed for the burial, and then, and then they buried the gentleman at the Veterans Cemetery in Winchenden, uh, Massachusetts. So uh, at this last funeral for Mr. Fowl, F-O-W-L, Durazo asked eight members of the basketball team to serve at the funeral uh, because Fowl, they, they do a little research on each person and they want to learn about them before they just take it up and bury them. But uh, they found out that Fowl uh, had served for six years as a medic for the Army. Um, so uh, Durazo says, our students learn what it means to welcome someone on the margins of life into their family. Uh, so the writer says, back in the chapel, I stood still and listened to our school president, Peter Folan, in the service with a eulogy. Now check this out. He says, here at CM, we're a family, a proud family. We're a community that welcomes people in and accepts them for who, where, where they are. We ask them to join us on our journey toward being more, doing more, and caring for others. Timothy Fowl, he says, welcome to our family. I thought back years ago to Mr. Ryan's mantra, at the time of his death, few knew Mr. Fowl, but as Mr. Folan listed off his military service and the significance of his duty, a room full of young, man be young men began to understand what the name Timothy Fowl meant. Now, now so, so often we meet people or we hear about people's name, we don't know anything about their past, and we come to our self-talk concludes various things about people that are totally inaccurate, totally true most of the time. So this is the way they rehearse and refresh everyone's memory or explain it to them who this guy really was. So to them, it meant sacrifice for one's country. That's what Timothy Fowl meant to the students. It meant service. It meant bravery. With that, every student left school that day, keeping Mr. Fowl's memory alive. Isn't that awesome? So uh, after the final blessing, the basketball team resumed its activities in front of the altar. They hosted the casket. They took him foul back to the hearst and honor guard uh, presented Mr. Fowl with full military rights before loading him into to the vehicle. So uh, just to, to wrap this up a little bit, looking back on the day, the author says, it strikes me how this service leaves such a profound impression on the minds of our boys. As a Christian Brothers school, CM prioritizes seven corporal works of mercy in its active service to others. These works instruct us to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirst, 
shelter the homeless, give drink to the thirsty, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit prisoners, give alms to the poor, and bury the dead. Each originates from Matthew chapter 25, uh, the gospel chapter where Jesus tells his disciples to look for him, look for Jesus, in the least of, of those uh, that are the brothers. So, uh, pretty cool stuff, and way to go, uh, CM High School in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Couldn't be prouder, and I wish we did it here. So I wanted to mention, uh, talk a bit about the Electoral College. There's a lot of talk right now about Democrats. Democrats are wanting to overthrow elections. Democrats are wanting to, or liberals, are wanting to undermine elections, uh, make it very easy to vote more than once, or for people that aren't registered to vote to vote, people that aren't citizens here to vote. Um, and so they're doing everything in their power to change the mechanisms about uh, as to how which we choose a new policy or a new president, a new governor, but primarily the president. So the founding fathers believed that we just shouldn't elect somebody with a popular vote because then uh, the people out west, when, when, when the uh, Constitution was first written, you had this heavy, heavy concentration in cities and certain counties on the west, on the east coast of the United States. And then you had people dispersed out in the rural areas. And what they didn't want is the city folk to determine the life and the ways of the people in the rural areas. So they wanted a balance of power. So they the they created a House of Representatives or what we call we call it Congress, but House of Representatives that's elected. You have a certain representative you have a representative for a certain amount of people. So they're, they're apportioned out according to population across the United States. Then you have a Senate that is comprised of two senators for each state in the Union. So you have 100 total senators. And so where you have really sparsely populated states like Wyoming, the Dakotas, uh, Montana, and so they would never be able to outvote anybody with their number of representatives per population because they're sparsely populated states. They could even it out because they get the same number of Senate senators and therefore Senate votes <clears throat> as, um, as say, New York, New York State does or California. So we all get two senators regardless of how much population we have. That evens it out. So... Uh, so the Electoral College, uh, when there's a popular vote, they assign those votes to the Electoral College and do either divide up the votes or the winner takes all of the electoral votes. And it's a way to even out. So certain counties of the uh, United States couldn't dominate the wishes and the wherewithal of all the rest of the uh, folks scattered out in across farmland or up in the timber or whatever. So this will give you a picture of why a popular vote will not work right. It says here that there are 3,141 counties in the United States. There's 58, in, remember, in California. I mentioned that earlier. Trump won 3,084, right? He, he won almost all of them, 141 versus 84, right? Clinton won 57, Trump won 3,084, Clinton won 57. However, there are 60, 62 counties in New York State. 
Trump won 46 of the 62. Clinton won 16. So how did Clinton win the popular vote by what some people feel is 1.5 million people? 1.5 million votes. This guy writes, in the five counties that encompass New York City, you've heard these before, Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Richmond, and Queens, Clinton received well over 2 million votes in just those few counties in New York State. There's not that many people in many entire states of the Union. Clinton only won four of these counties. Trump won just Richmond. Therefore, these five counties alone more than accounted for Clinton winning the popular vote of the entire country. These five counties comprised 319 square miles. I want you to think about that. Five counties, a total of 319 square miles. You know how much Yuba and Sutter counties each have over 600 square miles, much bigger than these five counties on the eastern seaboard. The United States is comprised of 3 million just it's 300,000 away from 3.8 million people. Uh, 3.8 million people. It's a lot of people. So the writer says when you have a country that encompasses almost 4 million square miles of territory, it would be ludicrous to even suggest that the vote of those who inhabit a mere 319 square miles should dictate the outcome of a national election. But that's what happens. That's what happens because in California, it's even worse at the federal level. All of our legislators, whether they're in the Senate or the Assembly, are voted by population. So that means your sparsely populated counties have no influence, zero. We could get all the representatives for Northern California to all vote the same way. And just L.A. County alone would outvote us. So it's not that we hate L.A. County or we hate uh, Southern California counties. It's just that they have unique needs in Southern California that we have uh, different needs and don't have those particular needs up here. So um, it, it says it would be ludicrous to even suggest that the vote of those who inhabit a mere 319 square miles should dictate the outcome for the entire nation or even for California. But everybody is running from litigation. So it says here that large, densely populated Democrat cities like New York City, Chicago, L.A., don't and should not, shouldn't speak for the rest of the country. This is why uh, you have an electoral college, and uh, it's... So it's something that you need to think about as they start saying, well, we need to to just dump the Electoral College. And it's something that came along later in life. It didn't. It didn't come along later in life at all. Now, I am fascinated. I'm just wired a little bit different than the average duck, I think. It the president of the United States, if he's doing something really wrong, you have a right to complain. Right. Even if if you have a wrong perspective. But it's interesting that people that supported Donald Trump and still do, if they wear some memorabilia like a cap or a T-shirt, they'll get spit on, eggs thrown at them, they could get beat up, etc., etc., etc. It's happening almost every day. There's something posted on Facebook of it. Kid got beat up, his mega hat, mega hat torn off his head. 
So uh, this article out of Littlestown, Adams County, Pennsylvania, they were having a little rally there. And um, it says this Littlestown High School, they put on a spirit uh, week. And I guess you dress up in things to lift, lift people's spirits. And uh, however, what happened was, you know how if you've been in high school, they take photos every year. And there's so when you look at your yearbook, there's a freshman part, a ju- sophomore, junior, senior. So you're, you know, each year as you get older, at least the way in the yearbooks were when I went to school, your photos get bigger. Your uh, a lot of your activities are photographed etc and uh, so we have two students that they had a spirit week at Littleston Littlestown High School and they so people could wear their strut their stuff right so two students like Trump and they wore their MAGA red hats 16 year old Jeremy Gebhardt was one of them Uh, so he said he didn't take it personal. He said, I just think that whoever did this doesn't like Trump. And uh, so they they had ended up out on the streets, or not out on the streets, but they ended up uh, being having their hats taken from them. Uh, or, sorry, I got it confused. What happened was they took the photos, they took photos of Spirit Week, and then, uh, like, like all people that do in these... Uh, Yearbooks is they they posted some things that were memorable of the particular activities of the year. And so these two 16-year-olds got their picture of Spirit Week in the yearbook, but the hat was still on their head, but it was blurred out. You know how you can blur out somebody's face? So uh, they blurred their, their hat out, and so that got the attention of a lot of people on campus. Like, who edited the book anyway? Who who put those pictures in the book and then who edited them out to be disrespectful to not only the Gebhardt family, but also to the president of the United States. I mean, we're not talking about some controversial uh, criminal leader charlatan, like in the black community, like Al Sharpton and those people. We're talking about the duly elected president of the United States. So, um, so Lorraine Gebhardt, Jeremy's mother, said, I was infuriated because he wears the hat because he supports our president. And uh, Jeremy says, everyone has First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, and they are allowed to think what they want and say what they want. But, but they uh, aren't allowed to take that away from us people, Jeremy said. So... Um, Fox 43, who covered this for the Littlestown School District. Now, this is amazing because, you know, superintendents and school principals sometimes think they're smarter than the average duck. But it's amazing to me how often that they made make really stupid decisions. They don't understand the Constitution. They tell kids they can't bring their Bible to school to read. They say you can't mention Jesus in the classroom if they ask them what special thing happened. And they say, oh, I got baptized this weekend. I, I follow Jesus. They can't say that, right? They just make up these rules that go along. Now, there's no problem with Muslims praying on campus and having a prayer room, but we can't have Christians doing that, right? So if you're a Christian, you're kind of like a no spiritual zone. 
So in a statement that superintendent wrote really stupidly, I'm aware of the yearbook situation and a mistake was made. Obviously, it's worse than a mistake. Uh, they A mistake is like an accident. No, these people intended to disrespect these boys and to, and to try to hose them down for standing up for what they believed in. And number two, they wanted to mock the president. So he said this mistake was not noticed during the editorial preview poly- process prior to print. We apologize on behalf of the yearbook club. It's not the policy and practice of the district to improperly censor, censor speech. People understand we are working with young adults uh, who are practicing to become citizens, and what a better place to do so than in the school setting. We must find a way to have civil discourse uh, around emotionally charged issues with students where the facts are understood and the opportunity to learn is available. Now, this is BS all the way. This uh, emotionally charged, the only reason this is emotionally charged about Donald Trump is that the media in Hollywood has kept jacking this thing up and saying stupid stuff. The fact is, when you look at the accomplishment of Trump, whether it's more competition in export-import, if it's uh, uh, giving his $100,000 quarter salary away, whether it's uh, improving the reducing regulations to improve the labor market, it is just one thing after another, after another, after another. We're not even here. We got a whole another year yet before this guy serves out his fourth term. But this Mr. Christopher Bigger is not so big when he makes these politically correct statements and just messes with somebody's head. And you actually lose students that way when they just parents just say, you know something, I don't even want them to go to that school. These people are nuts over there. So, um, Gebhardt, the young boy, he's got more sense than his superintendent. He says it's okay to disagree with people's views, but but what's not okay is taking your freedom of speech and using it to take other people's from them, which is which. Uh, and the reason that occurred was because they are putting regulations on people in that school that are unconstitutional, and that's what the, that's what Gebhardt was talking about. And so uh, you, it, it just, you know, there's one, two, or three of these that I notice in the paper every year is some kid will be penalized or shamed or taken down or harassed or clothing uh, apprehended, confiscated, and they really haven't done uh, a thing wrong, and they have a perfect right if it's spirit day and you could wear whatever you want and you could wear logos and all that kind of stuff they should have been allowed to do it so uh, i'm going to take a second break here and uh, you're going to get to listen to a great clip Uh, president trump speaks to the soldiers on the uss wasp and also an nra ad we'll be right back i'm gonna sing it to my friends with a gold round and circle I'm a mom, and just like millions of other women, that's why I own guns. 
We're responsible, we're law-abiding, and we're everything that makes America strong. Every day, we're willing to use a firearm to defend our families. But the media will never tell those stories. If a mom puts a gun to the face of a home-invading thug and makes him run for his life, the story gets buried. But if she's unarmed and murdered, the cameras will be at the scene before the police. It's time for moms like me to speak out. We are the majority. We demand the freedom to defend our families. And we challenge the media to tell the truth about our rights. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. I'm thrilled to be aboard the USS Wasp with the brave sailors and Marines, the 7th Fleet. Together, you're advancing freedom on the high seas, shielding our nation from dangerous weapons, and preserving the peace that generations of valiant American warriors gave their lives to secure. Our freedom is earned through the blood and sweat and toil and sacrifice of great American patriots just like you. As we honor America's fallen warriors, we pledge our unwavering devotion to all of those who serve our nation in uniform. You honor their sacrifice, you carry on their righteous duty, and you continue their noble legacy. On behalf of all Americans, we thank you, we salute you, we honor you, we cherish you, and we stand with you now and forever. We're placing the past, we've been cast out of the Now we're back in the fight. All right. Well, I hope you like those clips. Uh, I wanted to just make a final comment on this. Uh, these boys that got their, uh, their hat photoshopped right out of the yearbook. And I want to just say a, a big way to go to the Gebhardt family. Uh, who took the time to stand up for their kids' civil rights. Because here's the deal. What's happening in America is that if parents don't stand up for their kids' civil rights, the the uh, school system, which is run by left-wing uh, political people, the unions, particularly in California, I'll speak for. I don't know about all of the other states. Some states don't have union-run schools. Uh, but they're running roughshod. And so I just read <clears throat> this morning, I stopped in and grabbed breakfast at a restaurant. And um, I was reading the newspaper and it was talking about the new sex ed curriculum that the state of California Board of Ed- Education passed on May 8th and 9th. And the local schools, the big school districts in Yuba and Sutter counties in Northern California, they were saying, well, we're not really going to change what we do. In other words, it's optional for us. Uh, But it's interesting that the May 8th and 9th ruling about instead of uh, believing that, you know, at one time, let's back up. At one time in the United States, people believed that God created human beings, right? And then along came a guy about 18, in the mid-1800s named Charles Darwin, and um, and he stated that 
if we could ever find a link between primates and humans, then then he believed that human beings started out as something way different. Slime plus time equals a human. If we ever find a link, then there was proof that evolution, little by little, millions of years by millions of years, uh, mutation, 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 people people came out of, and just so happened that we were all plumb, we were plumbed perfect to match up and have babies, and it was just amazing. Everything was just perfect. We had oxygen, we had water, we had all these things to survive, right? So all of a sudden we changed in our public schools, which are anti-Christ, and we began teaching that we evolved from apes instead of that we were created by God, okay? Hold that thought. Now what we have in the school system that we just declared in early May is that they're not there are no longer male and female gender, but now people have lost their minds. A spirit of stupid, God has literally smitten the leadership who think they're so smart with the spirit of stupid. And they say now there's there's more there's more different genders than you can shake a stick at. In other words, in some gender is fluid, like you could be a male, then you can go back to be a female, and, <coughs> you know, all these kind of things. And so, now the way the liberals work is that they'll, they'll do something radical, very intense, and off the hook, over the cliff, like this, this uh, teaching kids that they might be any kind of gender, and teaching them how to masturbate, and teaching them how to... Uh, I don't know whether they're going to teach them fisting or not, but teaching them all kinds of different anal sex with photographs as early as kindergarten, right, in California. And so they they pass this, right? But then at the local level, the folks say, oh, no, no, no. Well, you know, they did pass that, but we're not going to, we're not, and, and yeah, you can't opt out of it, but we're not going to actually incorporate that in our curriculum. So everybody takes a deep breath, all the parents, and they go back to work and the and the the everyday routine of life and then another year goes by and another year goes by and all of a sudden they're teaching it right there isn't any announcement you can't opt out of it but they're actually teaching it and your kid comes home talking about anal sex right and so what they do is just slide it in there it's okay i mean in other words it's cleared it's it's cleared in the uh, curriculum. It's now a part of the curriculum. The funky books, the porno books are a part of the curriculum. But they say it's a local. Oh, well, we're not. Oh, we know. Yeah, well, our people would never go. For, no, we're not going to do that. Well, you, you know, we're not. Yeah, we're not. No, we, we, we don't do that. But then all of a sudden they do do that, right? How do you think we ended up where we ended up? How do you think we ended up with being able to take kids out of school and go get abortions? How do you think we ended up? Uh, secretly given girls uh, birth control pills and all kinds of uh, medical products, right? If they end up with chlamydia or something, right, at school, without the parents' knowledge, right? In some ways, you can't, in some things in, in the country, you can't give a kid a tattoo or give a kid an aspirin, but you can go fuss with them in other ways, in sexual ways, and you don't even have have to check in. In fact, you can, right now, 
I just uh, was up in Chico. I, I dr- drove a uh, lady up there out of jail that needed to go to a drug rehab, and we drove right by Planned Parenthood in Chico. And every time I see Planned Parenthood, I, I remember my friend Victor Brooks. Victor Brooks had four girls. That's all he had was girls, he and Walena. And so I remember Victor was called to give a bid on the Planned Parenthood uh, outfit in uh, in Yuba City that came in there many, many, many years ago. And a lot of us had opposed that. And Victor got called because he did alarms and stuff like that. And he got called over there. And so he began to ask a few questions. And he asked this question, which I think is a good parental question. He says, his kids were young then, really young, in elementary school, I think. He said, would you, if my child uh, came here as a young teen and ask you for services, would you call me up before you rendered services to them? And they said, no, we wouldn't. He said, my daughter that's under my charge is a minor, and if she came to you pregnant or had a sexual disease, and you you would treat her or abort that child without talking to me, he, they said, oh, definitely. He said, I would never do any work for you. Now, every time I, I think of that, I think of the, the fact that we, we have these laws, right? We have these laws that say if you're an underage girl and you have sex with an uh, old guy, uh, that's illegal and we can have you arrested, have the older guy arrested. But at Planned Parenthood, we have recordings and actual videos of people bringing in uh, when, when, you know, older men bring in a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old girl pregnant or has a sexually transmitted disease, bring her in, and maybe she's, she's being sex trafficked and get an abortion or something, something, and they do not turn this guy in. It's over and over and over again. They abuse uh, girls, and they participate in uh, profiting by sex trafficking. And that's just what's going on in, in our country. Now, in the Gebhardt's situation in this town in Pennsylvania, they went off on the school, and the school officials was pretty darn weak. That's why uh, they, they had these little pencil neck superintendents and principals sometimes that, uh, that don't, all they're doing is protecting their little rear end and their career. And so he calls it a mistake. Listen, this when somebody messes around with a photo and disrespects a child and disrespects the president of the United States, you know, it's interesting to me. Donald Trump, whether you like it or don't like it, is the president of the United States. And at, at one time, it was normal and it was proper and good etiquette to respect the president of the United States, whether you voted for him or not, whether you agreed with all his policies or not, whether he was the same flavor as you or not, or the same color as you of you or not. And so now we've got this thing now where if, if we just, we want to just tell somebody that's the president of the United States or an authority to F off, we just encourage, and you know, we see this in Hollywood on television shows we just tell people that tell the president to f off right it's just disgusting 
So we have this wheat need principle. This mistake was not noticed during the editorial preview. Now, this guy's a liar. Not only is he a weak need superintendent, but this guy is a liar. Now, I don't know whether you've edited, ever gone through a book and did an editorial preview. An editorial preview is where you go through every page and you look for typos and you make sure that the people that are named in the photo are the right people and you make sure their names are spelled right and the left the left person is the left person and the right person is the right person and you go through that and to say that this mistake where you blurred out some hats was not noticed in the editorial preview sir you are a bold-faced liar he says we apologize on behalf of the yearbook club well i don't know who i don't know who does the editorial work on this if i was uh a boss in that school or leader in that school i would not allow just a bunch of students to do the editing i would look through it because what if they put the f-bomb across the front of it what are you just going to catch that when the cases roll in from the printer people are a bunch of idiots back there anyway i'm telling you that the person that's going to be the greatest safeguard for your children is not uh, residing at that school or in the superintendent's office. You are the safeguard for your child's uh, better good. And uh, you need to look at Randy Thomason's SaveCalifornia.com website, uh, or I think it's Remove Your Child. Always get this site goofed up, RemoveYourChild.com or something like that where he tells you how to get your child now out of school. Now, I'll, I'll guarantee you in the state of California somewhere, they're going to be putting this curriculum into practice. Maybe, maybe it's down in Berkeley. Maybe it's in L.A. But I'm telling you that this curriculum is going to come out. And when it comes out, you're going to be told that you are not allowed to remove your child uh, from these gender sensitivity classes. It's just the way it is. And uh, you either need to, you should be preparing now to remove your child and get them into a charter school, private school, uh, or teach them at home. And I know some of my friends had done a, a splendid job of homeschooling. And it's easier than ever now. You have more uh, resources, tons more resources. Man, you got YouTube teachers. You got internet curriculums. You, it's just way, way easier than it was 20 years ago. All right, enough on that. Uh, I want to mention um, also a, a good supporter, help, help to me personally over the years, has been a guy named Ted Holmes, and he runs a number of businesses. He runs Holmes Construction. He runs uh, Liftoff Floor Removal. It's a great business in the valley here of uh, Northern California, and he also runs a plumbing doctor. So the plumbing doctor is just what it says. When you've got an ailment in your plumbing, they will come and fix you. And my ailments are when the water runs the wrong way. Either when I flush, it's coming at me, or when I turn on the water and it's going backwards. Something's wrong. Or sometimes when I'm running hot water and I look out in the backyard and there's steam coming off the grass. That's a bad sign right there. So when that happens, I call the plumbing doctor and I dial him up at 530-671-9111. And 530-671-9111, and they're, they're located in Yuba City. They serve Yuba Sutter counties and maybe up a little bit in Butte County, but I'm not sure how far reaching they are. 
but they will get your job done. They quote you a price. It's not like, well, maybe we'll start here. Maybe we'll end up over there financially. But they, they have a price quote. They can give you a menu of prices, and they'll get you squared away. And, and they'll you call them in the middle of the night if you want. And uh, they'll, they'll do an emergency for you. And, uh, you know, some of these places that are open in the middle of the night, uh, they need their, you know, when you need your plumbing fixed, you need your plumbing fixed right now, not next week, not next month, not next year. So that's just the way that is. So uh, go check them out and give them a shout out. Tell them you're listening to the podcast of No Hostages Radio. And uh, maybe they'll give you a little discount. In fact, Dave Greenitz once told me, I don't know whether he's still giving it because he's busy. So you got to like wait in line to get that guy sometime now. He said, tell him I'll give him a deadhead discount. So, uh, all right. Well, we'll, uh, we're just going to move right on here. I wanted to, uh, actually, this hasn't come out in the newspaper yet. But it came out on a on a Facebook site called No on Measure K. No on Measure K. That's a, a measure, a sales tax increase measure that we're fighting in court uh, out here in Yuba County. And uh, so I wrote an article that will appear in the Territorial Dispatch. If you want to go online to read my articles in the Territorial Dispatch, you just territorialdispatch.biz. I usually have a couple articles in there on the front page each week. Or you can just go to my website at nohostagesradio.com, and you can see the same thing. So this site, this article isn't on either site yet, but it's on the Facebook uh, of No on Measure K. But I, the title of the... Um, of the article is no uh, more feces, more taxes. I'll say it again: more feces, more taxes. So I, we we have a homeless problem here in uh, California, but we uh, we've lost our minds on how to deal with troubled people in California. And w- the way we handle it now is we give them a lot of money, and uh, we provide everything for free for them, and hope that they'll get a clue, and they'll see the light. And then change their way, but usually they just crap on your front front stoop, and they steal your stuff, and uh, they they you find them laying around out on the sidewalk vomiting. It's just a mess, right? And uh, it's a very unkind thing to let people live their lives this way. But that's what's going on. So I I began talking about the common day now, the regular day in. Uh, in Marysville, California, where where I live and where we broadcast out of, and uh, and talk and then transition into the the reason all our cities and counties are in such bad shape in California is because of this corrupt pension fund called the California Public Employee Retirement System, or what we call CalPERS, um, and so they have consistently uh, been so incompetent. Uh, I have a, I've never worked for a government or a corporation, so I, I didn't have any retirement unless I set it aside for myself. So I'm not smart enough to uh, figure out all the investment strategies. So I've always hired people that did that for a living. And I've never I've ne- I've always done pretty well, actually. Thank God. And but CalPERS, they they take all the money, all the pension monies from government employees, and they pool the money and they invest it, and then they they make the payments 
to the pensioners as they retire for the rest of their lives. And they're very generous pensions. For instance, if you worked for 30 years, you might make all the way up to 90% of your biggest uh, pay year uh, for the rest of your life, 90% a year. So if you were making 100000 a year, you could make 90000 a year, and you're not even working. Like, who needs that kind of money? So anyway, it's a very, very uh, generous pension program. But the problem is, is they promise this, these pensions to these uh, pensioners, people that have worked 20, 30, 40 years. And, uh, but they're having a problem uh, paying for it. You ever, you ever uh, gone to a buffet and you take more food and your, your, uh, your dad said, hey, how come you're not eating all your food? I said, well, my eyes were bigger than my stomach, right? So uh, anyhow, the, the problem with CalPERS is that the, the amount owed the pensioners is only funded about 70%. In other words, it's underfunded. In other words, it's an, a liability, a debt, that, that they, if they called it today, they couldn't pay it. They're bankrupt. So, but CalPERS, they guessed how much that the government, the different governments would have to pay them based upon CalPERS earning a 7% return on investing about $3.5 billion. Billion. They're the biggest pension organization in the, in the world, uh, certainly in the United States. And so, but uh, Democrats are running it. Whenever liberals or Democrats run things, they run them into the ground. And the unions are running it, so it becomes very political. And so now, they, uh, these people on the board of CalPERS, they have a board of directors, but they're not picked because of their, their skill in uh, investments. For instance, uh, CalPERS says we need to make... We're, we're guessing how much you need to contribute to us at by the county or the city based upon a 7% return, but they never hit that. They always get less, 2 3%, stuff like that. And so my returns from my investments that I hire somebody to do have never been as low as 7%. I've always made more than that. I can't, I can't understand why a local investor that's making money off making the investments – is doing so much better than people are making three or four hundred thousand dollars a year, or a five hundred thousand dollars a year. So, but CalPERS board is picked because of you know if they're the right gender, if they're having sex, if like they just picked a transsexual to be on the board, uh, she or he, however you want to call him, him or her, uh, has no experience in investments, and the only experience they have is is that they're a a, a screwy gender mess up. And uh, the fact that they served in government, I think they served on OSHA or some some kind of government department for 20 or 30 years. And uh, so and then then the other thing that can get you into the board, if you're screwing the politicians or you're funding them, uh, you can get appointed to this board. But what the board does, instead of looking for great investments, they actually uh, they look they got to be politically correct. So a, a number of years ago, about 18 years ago. They decided that tobacco stocks were a real bad investment, not because they couldn't make a lot of money, but because people got sick on them. And even though they're legal in the United States, they didn't want people to use tobacco. So they said, hey, we, we think it's wrong. We don't want to support tobacco companies. So they, so since the time that they pulled all their money out of tobacco stocks, they have lost 
Three, if they had left all their money in tobacco stocks that they had in tobacco stocks, they would have made an additional nearly $3.6 B billion, a billion with a B. But they feel so proud that they're doing the politically correct thing. They kissed off $3.6 billion. Now, you wonder why the local cities and counties have to keep coming up with more and more money is because they make stupid investments. Now, um, so they they call they ask the cities and counties to make up the difference when they keep uh, basing their investments on politically correct ideology. So in other words, they don't want to invest in firearms. Any stock has to do with firearms. No companies that have to do with South Africa or Iran or like uh, oil in Iran or something like that. They don't want to be involved in fossil fuels. Uh, they don't want to be involved in in any kind of business that creates a big carbon footprint or uh, they want to, if they don't want to be involved in any uh, buddy that doesn't believe in gender diversity. Right. And so what happens is, is they lost uh, when they pulled out of another uh, type of a problem investment, they lost another, I think it was 8 billion uh, well, they actually lost another $8 billion by divesting or getting out of firearms, apartheid South Africa, formerly apartheid South Africa, Iran, and some other things. So they blew $3.something billion on tobacco, three point six, then another $8 billion, and then they wonder why they're going broke. So, so I wrote this article on more feces and more taxes because in uh, Yuba County, there's, uh, we have uh, levees. Uh, we have two rivers, three rivers, actually, Bear River, Feather River, Yuba River, that are coming down off the mountains, and then they meet up at the Sacramento L- River and go on down to the Delta. So we have this system of levees, tall levees. If you're out there in another state, you wonder, what what is a levee a foot high? No, 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 no. They're like 30 feet high, big old thick levees, massive. And so it's important to have them strong, maintained. And then there's this, uh, there's pumps and ditches and there's waterways like uh, when water's running off, they got to go somewhere. They got to get it pumped over here to transfer it over there. They got these things called bypasses, and so these these reclamation districts, and they're, they they have these reclamation district numbered. So ours is RD seven eight four reclamation district seven eight four, and they serve you Southern Yuba County. So here's the deal. Here's what happened: is reclamation district seven eighty four send out a a notice that they were going to have a raise in the a double the assessment that people have assessments in California show up on your property tax bill. And so you could have your property taxes, which you pay so much to the state of California or the county, uh, so much dollars to the state of California for the right to own property and use property in, in the county. And then on top of that, you'll have all these school bonds, uh, utility bonds, uh, levy bonds and then you have this rd 70 784 maintenance bond to maintain the levies one bond might be to build a levy this is maintain a levy so they they maintain the levies basically so they say hey we need to double our assessments starting january 1 and unless you'd return these ballots and say no we're going to raise it in other words if you don't say anything we're going to raise we're going to we're going to go ahead and raise it and uh so people started looking at the uh, the uh, the budget of RD seven eighty four, 
And they thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, man, the salaries are like go way up. Well, if you look at any of these city and county budgets, they say, oh, we need, you know, we're not going to be able to afford police and fire. We're not going to be able to stop the floods. We're not going to, flood insurance is going to go up, or you're not going to be able to get flood insurance unless you give us more money. They never stop to say the reason we have this big problem the reason RD-784 salaries and benefits are going to go up by 87% is because we can't afford the CalPERS assessments, right? They don't say that. What they do is they, they use a euphemism, right? That's calling something something else so it's not offensive. So they say, well, we need more money to, to build this levee over by the gold fields, and we need this money to maintain the levees, or we're going to get uh, federal emergency management agency fema is going to dock us and call cause us problems and we're going to have to stop development in the entire county so what one of the guys did down like some of these people down in uh uh in the plumas lake area south county yuba county they spend like like their tax bill 60 percent of it will be for the property tax to the county of yuba Another 40% will be towards all these other assessments. It's an incredible deal. Some of them are paying three, four, five thousand dollars six. One person down there, they said they're paying $8,000 in taxes. I, I can't even imagine that. I live in this house in downtown Marysville. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford that. I have to leave. Uh, anyway, some of the people in, in uh, South County looked at two other levy agencies, what they call Trilla, uh, and that's Three Rivers Levy Improvement Agency. They have a budget of $8 million. And then they looked at Yuba Water Agency, and their mission, their entire mission is for flood control and water management and hydropower. They have a, a budget, they have a surplus of $100 million. And, uh, and so my argument is, why are we raising the, the assessment to RD-784? Why don't we just ask Trilla? And YWA to to pay for these extra costs and take care of RD seven eighty four until they can get by this high point in the road. In fact, why is seven eighty four building levees anyway? I thought that was Trilla's job and Yuba County Water Agency. So anyway, that you can read that article. Uh, it's out on No One Measure K, but you also see it probably in a week or so in the Territorial Dispatch dot biz. Uh, so, uh, let's see. One of the best kept secrets in the media, you know, the media today is no longer an honest to goodness, unbiased media, is it? In fact, I don't even have a television hooked up. I just, uh, in fact, I don't even listen much to the radio anymore because it's actually just propaganda, Right. And I wrote an article, it's, it, uh, we'll post it here, it'll be on the website when this, uh, when this ninth episode of uh, No Hostages Radio goes up, but it's called Media's Best Kept Secret, Capitalism. You know, capitalism keeps get, getting tarnished with this darkness, right, this evil, evil capitalism. Sounds like Karl Marx has risen from the grave, and what, it, what we really need is socialism. Uh, which if you want to look at any kind of socialism, you just have to go to Venezuela, Cuba, or all throughout the world. Uh, 
Cambodia, Vietnam, and China, right, all these places where it failed until they turned around and incorporated some capitalistic principles amongst their businesses, even though the politics may still be communist, their their businesses are more capitalistic. So I'll talk more about it in a second, but uh, we're going to take another break. We're at the end of our third segment. So one, two, three. So we're going to you're going to listen to a really cool guy, 96 year old Pete Dupre. He's a World War II veteran. Play the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem on his harmonica, and uh, it brings down the crowd. It's and uh, then you're going to hear a, a really great talk by Ronald Reagan. We'll be right back and we'll pick up the fourth segment. And we're just kind of moving along here today. Thank you so much. From the Rio Grande, and I sing the song in the cowboy band. I know all the songs that the cowboys know about the big corral where the doggies go, cause I learned them all on the radio. Yippee, I, oh, Kaye. Yippee-yay-oh, he's an old cow hen from the Rio Grande. Performing today's Star Spangled Banner, please welcome 96-year-old World War II veteran, Pete Dupre. remarkable 96 year old Pete Dupree World War II veteran who actually met the players on Omaha Beach in Normandy in January Carly Lloyd said it was the best thing she'd ever done off field for the US team there he is and that really did go down a storm I got, didn't I it, got the, chills yeah 
listening to that. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. There's a train coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord.
All right, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that. If they didn't say on the clip, um, that was at a packed house soccer game between Mexico and the United States of America that you heard Pete Dupre. And uh, what a touching deal. And uh, I see almost uh, every month now you'll see a 90 to 100-year-old guy uh, die that fought in World War II. And it's just really sad. There's just a handful of them left in their 90s now passing. Uh, they were some of our younger ones that uh, fought in World War II. So it's just amazing to uh, to think about them and to remember them. And, and uh, so I wanted to um, just make some comments about capitalism that has transformed the world. Uh, socialism has never transformed the world unless you talk about killing millions and millions of people. I'm talking about 100 million people. Uh, so I wrote an article, Media's Best Kept Secret Capitalism, and, and I said from 1970 to 2006, the number of people living in extreme poverty declined fantastically. People living on a dollar a day or... Uh, or less, dramatically fell from 26.8% of the global population in 1970 to 5.4. That may not mean much to you, but a lot of these people were living on about a dollar or two a day. Um, so, and, and my comment was, it was globalization, according to American Enterprise Institute President Arthur Brooks. He said in 2012, it was globalization, free trade, and boom, and a boom in international entrepreneurship that lifted the entire world and brought American-style free enterprise system to the world, giving people freedom uh, allowed them to begin making a good living. In 1820, 94%. This is amazing because. Some of my family members that I met when I was a youngster were living in the 1800s. Uh, 94% of the people of the world in 1820 lived in poverty. 94%. So basically what we're saying is when you think, oh, you know, the rich of the world. Actually, the, the norm of the world until the last hundred years has been poverty. And only a very, very tiny group of people had extra, had had more than the rest. In 2011, poverty in the world was down to 17%, from 94%. What's even more incredible is that global poverty rate was 53% in 1981, and it was down to 17% in 2011. So it's, it's the most rapid change in poverty in world history. It's like it's like the the Olympics on getting rid of getting rid of poverty. And so you can thank the onset of industrialization and the consequence of this economic growth. The share of people living in poverty started decreasing and kept on falling ever since. It's just an amazing thing. If you read much about this and you read unbiasedly and, and it affected everything, uh, you know, as as people got electricity, then they could read more, then they got more intelligent, and then books, more books were printed, right? And even the poorest people uh, on the earth could then get access to books and could see to read books, and then the the access to eyeglasses. Right now, we're 
involved in Vietnam. And when you get out into the rural areas, they don't have any eye, any access to eye care or eyeglasses. But we were able to help them with that and with audio resources. But in much of the world, uh, getting glasses and getting good light, like electricity, was a huge breakthrough. Uh, a guy named Stephen Horowitz with the Foundation for Economic Education, says capitalism has also resulted in people spending a much smaller percentage of their lives working. Uh, they used to work seven days a week, 12, 15 hours a day just to survive, just hand to mouth, and has produced a huge increase in life expectancy. In other words, People jump by decades. They used to die between the 30s and 40s. Now they're up in the 70s. The mortality rate for children under the age of five declined by almost 50% from 1990 to 2013. Amazing. It, it's, just a, it's just a shocking thing. So, you know, the lies of the left, the lies of socialism, when you look at it and you compare it to the facts— you know, even my friends who are like all freaked out about GMO foods, hybrid foods, literally the the hybrid developed foods that now can be grown in very arid climates or they could be just like we've developed rice here in the Sacramento Valley. We've de devi devised all kinds of different types of rice that grow better in certain types of climates and thrive better or, or less vulnerable to bugs, etc. We've developed better and better products. They've developed better and better walnuts, better and better uh, peaches, and etc. So the development of, of foods that could be grown in Egypt and Africa that, that, that had very different climates in here has allowed people to escape poverty and, and not die. Some of my friends are, you get so high and mighty on these things. Oh, it's going to ruin our DNA. I actually, I don't really worry about DNA. I w first worry about whether people are going to die at, at 25 of malnutrition, right? I ship containers of food to Cambodia the containers are full of anti-starvation meals for orphans. I'm worried about first feeding them, right? Then we'll worry about, we'll jack up the minerals next and vitamins, right? But you first get something in their belly, right? And now we're embellishing that with the vitamins and minerals, etc., cetera, and, and looking for better ways to do it. But first, we make sure we feed them a couple times a day, three times a day if possible. So it's it's really easy to armchair quarterback from the u.s about all the ways we need to do this and do that and do the other thing when when the fact is that united states farming is producing way more using way less of chemical fertilizers sprays and water than any bef ever before they're to me the farmers of the west are the miracle workers and, and the scientists, the agricultural scientists, are the miracle workers and have changed the lot of billions of people uh, throughout the world. Uh, it's interesting. Even the poorest of Americans, not to mention many of the global poor, have access to the Internet and TV, to concerts, books, and works of art. When I go to rural, I mean incredibly rural areas of Vietnam, dirt floors, maybe a little bit of electricity, uh, use a latrine, a dug hole outside. They're, 
they're cooking over open fires inside, they will have cell phones or they'll have Netflix. It's an amazing thing. But, uh, but, and they have enough to eat. They're making it. Whereas my friend, after uh, the communists took over in 1975, my friend used to tell me when she was born as a young girl right after the war, she said, Lou, we used to collect bugs to eat and uh, because we didn't have enough rice in Vietnam. You can hear the same story in China, Russia, uh, Cambodia, wherever. They just people starve to death. Americans are, are when I fly back to America, it looks like everybody's overinflated. It, people have have way too much to eat here. But in those other countries, people literally starved to death. It had nothing to do uh, with with uh, the wealth of the United States. What it had to do with political corruption and communism and socialism that that tells you what to do and takes all your benefits from you and tells you to go out and work your rear off and give give all your product to the government. That's never going to work. It never has worked. People pretend to work, and the government pretends to pay them. That's the way that is. And so as soon as the government gives them a share of the action and gives them their own plot of land and their own business, then they begin to thrive. So take that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. All right. Uh, let's see. What? All, uh, oh, here's the other deal I wanted to. Uh, this is just. You know, I'm telling you, when you look at the facts, you hear these people, these socialists of the uh, Democratic Party. You know, I've traveled in Cambodia, and the first time I went there, my friend, you know, he, he, we'd be driving down the road, and he'd point over to a building that was just demolished, a five-story building, concrete building, just thrashed. He'd say that used to be an American hospital, all funded by Westerners, and used to provide great medical care. When the Khmer Rouge took over, they rejected all Western medicine and they went back to folk medicine and shamans and using uh, herbs, and they burned down all the hospitals. They also rejected Western education, burnt down all the schools, and said that we don't need any education except what we teach about communism. So they burned the schools. They burned uh, clothes. I mean, uh, books. They burned the hospitals. If you wore glasses in Cambodia, these are socialist, uh, stupid people. That If you wore glasses... Or you lived in the city, they thought you were an intellectual and you were against communism, and they killed people. Or they moved them out to work in the farms, and if they died, then they died. Uh, many, uh, so the technocrats, the people that actually ran the infrastructure of, of, uh, of the cities, particularly like capital Phnom Penh of Cambodia, uh, they were sent to work in the fields like illiterate farmers. And, and then illiterate farmers were brought to the cities to manage the cities. Where everything collapsed. Everything. People died of starvation. Uh, it, it was a nightmare. People uh, from 1975 to 1979, because of socialism uh, in Cambodia, 1.5 to 2 million people uh, or about 21 to 24 percent of the 1975 Cambodian population perished. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that 20% of the population died? Starvation, disease, overwork, execution. To the communists, it's just a cost of doing business. No problem. We got this. It happened over and over. It happened in China. It happened in Russia. It happened in Cuba, right? Happened in Laos. 
So uh, the same spirit of indoctrination and enforced groupthink is at work at every level of society today. You think, oh, well, there's nobody getting killed today. Huh? Babies are being killed. Babies are being killed. So, uh, you know, other people are being killed. You think of guys like Eric Garner. You remember Eric Garner? Big guy. Remember his case? July 17, 2014. Politicians decide, well, we can't outlaw smoking cigarettes. Since we can't outlaw them, we're going to make a lot of money on them and make it really hard for you to smoke them. So we're going to raise the rates. Right now, I think a pack of 20 cigarettes in New York City is $13. So they're so expensive that we're looking, in fact, in, in more and more areas, whether you look at people uh, taking a dump on the corner, uh, to people selling cigarettes by ones and twos, those are all third world, nor that's normal in third world countries, right? And so uh, whether you look at uh, people urinate in the gutter, poop in the gutter, uh, disease, you know, hepatitis B, C, uh, typhoid, cholera, starting by sewage in the gutter. Uh, those, that's third world stuff. And so now that's, gonna, that's happening in our big cities. And now what we have is we have people that, that want to smoke cigarettes and so, um, but can't afford to buy a pack. So we have people that are now uh, enterprising people like Eric Garner, who was a small-time hustler and a big guy in New York who would sell cigarettes by ones and twos. And so what we have is politicians, and they're Nazis. I'm not calling police Nazis, but the, the politicians Nazis, they're enforcement troops to, to punish people that are, are selling cigarettes by ones and twos. They actually cite them and arrest them. So Eric Garner, uh, this is all socialism. In other words, they're taking multi-dollars per pack to benefit politicians' programs. And so, uh, so we have people that used to be legal, not criminals. Now these new laws made them criminal. So Eric Garner, the, the, the police were sent down to arrest a guy of selling a single cigarette. Is this amazing? And so when he resisted, they took him down. They got him in a chokehold. Uh, to take him down, to get him to comply, he began to have an asthma attack, and he died. Do you feel good about that? Is that what our police should be doing? Is that what our politicians should be doing? I'm a big supporter of police. I don't think police should be bothering with people selling ones and two cigarettes just because politicians want to want to get in our business. They think, oh, drinking, we'll drink what we want, we'll smoke what we want, we'll get cheap cigarettes, but you're going to get stuck with, with expensive, 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 and we'll get around the taxes because, you know, rich people get around everything. But the common man gets screwed, right? You're going to get screwed over your cigarettes. You're going to get screwed over your medical marijuana. You're going to get screwed over your recreation marijuana. But we're going to make big money, and don't, by God, don't let us catch you not following all our rules, or we're going to put you in jail, or you're liable to die over the deal. So the New York New York uh, politicians would rather have a sanctuary city and protect a rapist or an MS-13 gang member than have a, a just a peaceful guy, Eric Garner, sell onesies and twosies, as they call them. Now, when you go to—when I used to go to Vietnam or third-world countries, I still go over there, but when you go to third-world countries, the Philippines, 
uh, any of these countries, they got a certain smell about them. The reason is they don't have good sewage treatment. But now we, we've become a third world country because you can have the same smells in Marysville or you can have the same smells in Sacramento, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, right? They're people that are using the streets as sewage, right, and creating disease. That's just the way it is. When you fly into a major uh, American airport, it looks like a third world. The last time I flew into San Francisco in uh, November, I went to use the bathroom, and it was just a, it was just an embarrassment. I mean, it hadn't been cleaned. People, there was toilet paper strung out all over the place. People had gone on the floor. It was just, you go to a, you go to Japan, you go to um, Seoul, Korea, you go to Singapore, you go to Hong Kong, uh, you even go up into the into communist China. The the airports make us look like we're 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 broke over here. I'm telling you, they make us look like we're broke. The places are, you go into a bathroom, you don't have any hesitation to use it. It's clean, clean, clean. They have people in there just on top of everything. Here, it's just like piss all over the everything. They got the the uh, mirrors are all screwed up. Uh, toilets are running over. Stuff left in the toilets. I mean, it is just a disgrace. It, we live like pigs in the United States. And, and we think we got something really going on. No, we haven't got, we, we've lost our friggin' mind. When I used to go to um, San Francisco to pick up a Chinese visa, I used to take BART from uh, across from uh, San Pablo, I think it was, one of those stations over there. And I used to go under the water, come up at Civic Center. Now you come up there and you got people shooting heroin all up and down in there. Then when you come out, you got to step over people laying all, all the way up to get up to Geary, uh, I think it's Geary, where the Chinese embassy is up around that area. Uh, anyway, it's about a 15, 20-minute nice walk. But you've got to climb over all the losers and nutcases that should be put in institutions and rehabs and forced to go there because they're going to – we think it's freedom, and it's a blessing for them to live in their disease and their craziness out on the streets. We think that's that's a freedom, and that's liberty. It just – I mean – the, the people running these liberal cities have completely, their brains have, uh, are mush at this point. They're totally nuts. So it's, I, I get a kick out of all these liberal uh, re, uh, legislators that fly down to Cuba and just, oh, they just praise Cuba. But why don't they go down there for their medical care? Oh, they say, oh, they got great health care. Oh, they got great this. Oh, they got great that. Why don't they go down there? Why don't they go down and catch your health care? But you see these leaders of Cuba, Venezuela, all these leaders, where do they go for health care? They come to the United States, right? You go to go check out Camp, uh, China in the rural areas. Now it's not so bad. But when I first started going up there, China, Vietnam's still pretty rough in the rural areas. Uh, but whether it's Cambodia, Cuba, China, Vietnam, North Korea, or New York socialists, they make up the rules as they go along and then punish the nonconformists, right? Go to Phnom Penh, if you, you guys that think socialism is cool, and you can see uh, what goes on in any socialist country. Go go to a place like the Tuol Sling, T-U-O-L Sling, S-L-E-N-G, Genocide Museum, and you'll see the faces of thousands of innocent people, children and adults, murdered by socialist nutcases. This uh, was once an elementary school in in uh, right in the center of Phnom Penh, and it's been memorialized 
as a torture chamber, execution center. Can you imagine? They had 196 torture or execution centers in Cambodia created to establish a utopia, a beautiful place where everybody's happy and all their needs are met. But they had to kill 20, 20, almost 24% of the population to get there. And they, they had, you can go in there and they have the beds where they actually pulled people's toenails out, pulled their teeth out and, and put them on mid, you know, medieval racks where they pulled their bones apart. It's go there. I mean, you know, take fly over there, cost you about a thousand bucks round trip. Uh, I mean, you can get a cheap ticket for seven or eight hundred, have some long layovers and and just go to Twal Sling. Then you can go up and see see him reap and go to the, you know, some uh, really cool, beautiful city, beautiful country. But you go see these genocide museums and maybe I'll sober you up on this uh, socialism thing. Well, let me get back on track that I I got off on what I was going to do a little bit. But I wanted to tell you about these articles I'd, I'd written. Because um, I wanted to make a, a point about some of this. And uh, so, okay. All right. I'm just trying to see where I want to go from here on. I in in uh, 1990 I was on my way to uh, India on a project for the Church of Glad Tidings and they said hey when you come back fly through Hong Kong and spend a week there and meet up with these people they're smuggling Bibles uh, to the underground church in Hong Kong uh, I mean out of Hong Kong which was then a British protectorate remember they they didn't turn over Hong Kong to the Chinese communists till I think 1996 or 97. So uh, it was free there. The British were running it. It was just like a. It, Hong Kong is actually amazing. If you want to see capitalism in all its glory, uh, you want to go to Hong Kong. Everybody should go there before they drop dead. So we were flying into Hong Kong, and then uh, so they hooked me up, and we were smuggling Bibles into China to the underground church. And at that time, the church was just exploding and, and growing, and. And uh, the underground church was the one because the, the communists wanted control and they feared that, that the Christians would overthrow the, the government, which was not true, but that's what they thought. So uh, anyway, the first time, uh, maybe it was the second time I went there to, to do this, uh, we went up to Beijing and we took a train up from uh, Guangzhou, which is just across the border from Hong Kong. And we trained up, took about 24 hours. We hauled a lot of Bibles up there. But when we got up there, we stayed at a hotel, a very nice hotel. We'd probably rated about a three, three and a half star or something, you know, like 20-story hotel. Very nice, beautiful rooms. But on the outside, it was pockmarked with bullet holes. And I thought, what in the world? And they said, Lou, this is from Tiananmen Square. And they said in 1989, this is before computers and before mass media and before the social media, uh, students went into Tiananmen Square, which is a big, big government square around near government buildings, and they set up tents and they camped out and they sang songs and they protested and gave speeches, and they wanted the government to negotiate more freedom, democratic freedom. And so after a period of days, the, the Chinese government got fed up, and uh, th- they went in with tanks and flamethrowers, 
and uh, armed, armed people, and they murdered. Made hundreds, if not thousands of people were murdered. We don't really know the exact number because communists won't tell you, and it was not recorded in the national media because they were, they were pushed out. And so uh, in the shooting, uh, there were some stray bullets that landed on this, this particular hotel we were staying in. But I visited Tiananmen Square, and all the damage that was done to the uh, surface of the square, which was concrete, big concrete pavers that were maybe six by six feet, they were just they would dig those up and just put down new pavers. They just hide they they hide everything. They just disguise everything in China. And so um so we I've learned a lot about in fact over here next to me I have a big photograph probably that's about oh let's see it's about two and a half feet by three feet of what they call Tank Man. If you go onto YouTube you can see a video probably of Tank Man. Tank Man was a guy who walked out in the street when the tanks came down the road. I don't know whether they were leaving or coming into Tiananmen Square. And he just stood in front of the tanks and withstood them. Instead of running them over, they just they they were puzzled. And they stopped, and there's a shot of him standing in front of all these tanks. And then he disappeared. Uh, people, citizens ran out and grabbed him out of there, but I think probably they, they killed him. Uh, the communists came in and killed him. But there's been protests. Uh, the, the protests about Tiananmen Square, there, there's a group called Tiananmen Mothers, who are mothers of the students that were killed. And, but in, in, uh, there were more than 2,000 people that, that demonstrated uh, the 30-year anniversary of the pro-democratic protest in Beijing's Tiananmen Square. Uh, and that uh, Tiananmen Square, Square happened in June 4, 1989. And the Chinese ruling Communist Party, they, they weren't putting up with it, and they just sent the military in. Now, if you had a Ferguson-type riot where the blacks like to throw a fit and, uh, and bust, bust in liquor stores and steal a fifth of vodka and then go ahead and get, get a free set of tennis shoes or a television, uh, they would simply go in and flamethrow those dudes and barbecue them. They would shoot them, barbecue them. Uh, they'd put them in jail, part out there, and, and uh, kill them and take their organs and sell them to people uh, and tell their folks uh, they died of influenza. Uh, that's just the way it is over there. You think I'm lying? I can give you books and references. Just uh, you can text me five three zero seven one three one eight three eight five three zero seven one three one eight three eight, or you can uh, you can email me at Lou at uh, nohostagesradio dot com, and uh, you, you doubt my word. Uh, I, I will give you chapter and verse on all this stuff I'm talking about. Uh, the media, what the media, just because the media didn't talk about it doesn't mean it isn't true. So they, they're protesting uh, in Hong Kong about what happened in Tiananmen Square. But I'm telling you what goes on, whether you occupy Wall Street, whether you wanted these stupid uh, demonstrations uh, regarding Trump, et cetera, et cetera, all these things, uh, these things uh and, and all these people are the ones that want communism here. They want socialism here, but it's, they, would, they would actually ob obliterate these people overnight. They would pick them up without any rights, without any hearing, and they would be incarcerated uh, or they would just disappear. That's just the way it is. It happens all the time over there. You just are too clueless. You just don't know what you're talking about. 
So uh, let's see. I think there was something else I wanted to talk about. Uh, but I'm just looking here. I, I didn't want to miss it here. Before I got, we got to, oh, we, we're coming down short of time here to wrap things up. And let's see. Oh, here it is. I'll, I'll, I think I'll do it. I'll do it right after, uh, right after we take a break. So um, let me just finish by saying that in in China right now, what's going on, and in Vietnam, both. If you if you have a Facebook page, or you have a website, or you're on Twitter, or you are on Snapchat, or you're on Viber. They are monitoring all your communications at, at the, uh, with the help of Google and Facebook. Uh, Vietnamese and Chinese are big Facebook users. It's very popular there. And if you make any anti-government comments, they will not only take down your Facebook page, they will take you down. Now, that's just the way it is. Now, when I used to go to Vietnam, when, when email was first starting out, I would tell people, please do not email me while I'm over there because uh, they read the emails. And people just thought that was the stupidest comment and they would just laugh at me. And I'd say, well, please don't email me because I don't want you to say anything about what I'm doing over there because I'm moving contraband to the underground church. And so it, it's so fascinating that now under the Obama administration and the Trump administration, now we realize that the NSA and all our own, like the the FBI and the CIA and all these people are not only spying on foreigners in the country, they're spying on our own people. And they're reading and listening to our conversations and they're looking at our emails, right? It's not so far-fetched anymore, right? Just because you're a little stupid and you're a little slow to get to the dance. So we're going to take a break right now. And uh, then I think, what do we got? We have a couple more spots here to do. So we're going to hear a clip right now. This is called The New George Patton. In other words, if George Patton was making comments about today's political situation, it's pretty cool, actually. I think you'll like it. Just give it a listen. I'll be right back. People stop and stare. I can't see their faces. Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going where the sun keeps shining Through the pouring At ease Now I want you to remember That this war on terror As well as our presence in the Middle East Is necessary and inevitable To those who can't understand that they need to spend more time on the History Channel and less time in the goddamn chat rooms. In this time of nuclear weaponry, we cannot afford to wait for the fight to come to us. You need to understand that. This political correctness stuff's a bunch of crap. This generation is so goddamn spoiled and lazy, they wouldn't know a real threat to their freedom until it interrupted the power source to their Xbox and killed a half a million people. 
The complacency of fools will destroy them. That's written in the Bible. My God, I really wonder where we'd be today if some of our current members of Congress were residing during World War II. I think we'd all be speaking German right now and the world would have a serious shortage of Jews. These people like Harry Reid, that son of a bitch is like a man in combat who won't provide you the cover fire you asked for, so you end up getting your goddamn head blown off. People like him don't know anything more about the process of defending modern freedom than they do about fornicating. Now, all this stuff you've heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to pull out of Iraq, is a lot of horse dung. Americans, traditionally, will protect their freedom. All real Americans love a good fight. When you were kids, you all admired the champion football player, the fastest gamer, the greatest superhero, the toughest boxer. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I don't give a hoot in hell if you're a Christian, Muslim, Jew, or a Buddhist. If you intend to take up arms to harm America or Americans, you will lose. Now we have the best equipment, facilities, the most technologically advanced weaponry in the world. And you can be thankful of that. Without it, there'd be a hell of a lot more dead. Now I say to the Iraqi citizens that if you know of people planning insurgency, stop them. If you see or hear about someone planning a roadside bomb, stop them. Shoot those bastards in the guts. Report their activities. That is the only way to build a truly great nation. The people must get involved and take it back. Just as Americans did against the British in the 1700s. Being free is part of every religion. But a lack of freedom and misguided education can create enormous setbacks. In 1939, when the British ally Poland was attacked and occupied by Germany, do you know that that small island of Britain had the balls and fortitude to declare war on those Nazi bastards? Well, we did nothing. We didn't want to get involved, we said. How dare we not learn from such things? This is not a goddamn video game. This is a modern fight for freedom and security of this nation and the world. Now, the current leader in Iran has made it very clear that he wants to destroy America and threatens a second holocaust against the Jews. And this leader is attaining nuclear technology right under our noses. The difference between him and Hitler is that Hitler built up his war machine in secrecy. How stupid and ignorant should we be? If Hitler would have had nuclear weapons, He'd have used them. If Japan would have had them, they'd have used them. You had all better wake up. If it were up to me, we'd already be in Iran, and their leader would be one dead son of a bitch.
After World War II, there was a plaque laid in Germany which reads, Never again, fascism. How dare you forget and allow it again? You all know the old saying, history repeats itself. Well, here we are. Now there's another thing I want you to remember. I don't want to get any more messages saying that we need to pull out of Iraq. We're not pulling out of anything. Let the enemy do that. We are advancing constantly and we're not interested in pulling out of anything except a parking lot. Now, there's one thing that you men and women will be able to say when you get back home. And you may thank God for it. Forty years from now, when you're sitting around your family, with your grandson on your knee, and he asks you, what did you do in the Great War on Terror? You won't have to say, well, I listened to far-left bullshit, sat on my ass, and was more concerned with American Idol than I was about American security and freedom. All right, now you sons of bitches and women, you know how I feel. Go on. I will be proud to lead you wonderful people into battle anytime, anywhere. That's all. Well, I hope you enjoyed the George Patton uh, rant. And uh, I wanted to, uh, even though it's past Memorial Day, as I mentioned earlier, I don't know whether I'm just more sensitive to Memorial Day now, this year, or whether there has been more of a sensitivity to it in our society, but it seemed like there was much more talk about it. And Ben Stein, I've always admired Ben Stein. He's an author. I think he's been a lot of things, but I know he's been an actor, an author. Uh, he's been on television. I think Ben must be in his 80s. He's, but he writes for the American Spectator a lot. And he wrote, and he, he's a very uh, witty writer. Witty. And so... He called it Memorial Day 2019. He says, never forget. Now, some of these things I thought, oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that because I'm not. He lived through these times, right? Or he was a, a youngster during these times. But he lists the things that he's, he's appreciative for, he's thankful for, he's grateful for. And he said, number one, God, oh, by the way, Ben Stein is Jewish, Okay. But he's also very appreciative. He may be actually a Jewish as a Christian, but uh, his ethnicity is Jewish. 
He says, God bless, number one, he lists them numerically, all the things he's thankful for. He says, God bless for all the all time the flyers and support crews of the Royal Air Force in the Battle of Britain. Number two, let us be on our knees to the freedom fighters of Poland, Jewish and Catholic who fought with hopeless odds against the Nazis in 1943 and 44, only to be abandoned by the Allies. Number three, God bless the fighters of Great Britain in the desert and in every place they fought. The British are the most amazingly brave and resourceful people in Europe. God bless the French who fought to save the evacuation at Dunkirk. And although they are always sneered at, are among the bravest, best fighters in history. Number four, although it's strange to say so, heaven bless the Red Army and Marshal Zukov, who broke the back of the Wehrmacht, that's the Nazis, and basically saved the world. Some were communists. Most were just simply the most resolute soldiers man's mind can imagine. They, there would be no world without the Red Army, and although they did horrible things to the women of Germany, they actually saved our planet from Nazism. Number five, never stop thinking of the wives and mothers of the Allies who lost their husbands and children to Nazi and Japanese barbarism. Never stop thinking of their children who lived lonely lives without their fathers. Now, just as an aside from Ben, I've I've been to China and they have a, a great hatred, generational hatred towards the, China, the, the Japanese who came into China and butchered their women, raped and butchered their women. Number six, be on our knees for the incredibly brave millions who fought in the uniforms of the United States in World War II. Korea, Vietnam, the wars in Iraq, Libya, Afghanistan, and places we probably don't even know about. What would we do without men and women willing to give their lives for us? How can we ever bless them enough? Number seven, never apologize for being an American. We are the lights of the world. Together with Israel, we show mankind what mankind can be at its best. Every day, we get to live in a planet led by America is a blessed day. Never forget. Now, I want to contrast this with an article by Cal Thomas. Cal Thomas has been a good author, great author for years and years and years. He also has been a TV personality or TV news person. And uh, he wrote an article called Once a Terrorist, Always a Terrorist. And so recently, in fact, I, I was shocked at how many years had gone by since this young man was arrested. His name is John Walker Lind, L-I-N-D-H. John Walker Lind uh, was arrested, and he served 17 years of a 20-year sentence for illegally aiding Taliban forces. He actually went to Afghanistan. He he left the country, and uh, he was in Afghanistan and, and fighting with a group of Taliban uh, when they killed CIA officer Johnny Michael Spann. You may, may have remembered that he was one of the early casualties or losses before September 11th, uh, 2001. And uh, I don't know if you remember, there was, and I can't remember this guy's name. He was a famous journalist. Pearl was his last name, Pearl. 
Was he a Christian Science Monitor writer or a Wall Street Journal writer? Can't recall. But he remember he was his throat was slit, his head was cut off on film. Remember when they were the Taliban was popular or Al Qaeda was popular back then of cutting people's heads off and scaring the hell out of people on film, right? So Span's daughter, John Michael Span, who was killed, uh, was nine years old when his, her dad died. She called Lynn's early release a slap in the face to everyone who died on 9-11. After his capture and return to the U.S., Lynn struck a plea bargain, in admitting to illegally providing help to the Taliban, but denied any role in Span's death. But he was there. Lynn is Lynn, and now this is a bizarre probation or parole. He's barred from traveling, number one. That's interesting, whatever that means, and using a cell phone or the Internet. How do you even do that anymore? He could still borrow a phone, of course, and possibly use someone else's computer to sign in information. So it is difficult to see how these limitations will be enforced. Lynn stated he would not have. Now, this is what really ticks me off. This kid stated he was not, he would, would, now he's not a kid. I mean, the guy was 20 something when he went to the Taliban. He, he would not have joined the Taliban if he had known what it was all about. You're kidding me. You just get up one morning and you pack up and you fly to one of these terrorist countries and you don't know what you're going to be doing. The thing is, his, his testimony doesn't line up with the statements made elsewhere. A document from foreignpolicy.com, a state that focuses on global affairs, uh, says that Lynn told a television news producer that he would continue to spread violent extremist Islam upon release. Now, this kid is a white American kid, right? The document does not identify the news reporter or the foreign policy, and foreign policy says there is no public record of Lynn participating in media interviews. However, that does not mean it didn't happen, but if the interview exists, now would be a good time to bring it forward. Now, treason is a word that should be used only in cases where an American citizen betrays his country and goes over to the enemy's side. Mm, sounds like Lynn did that. In the past wars, some of those found guilty of treason have been executed. I think that's a good deal. I, I like executions. I think people like Barack Obama should be executed. I think people like the left BI's McCabe, Comey, CIA Brennan, uh, Peter Strzokstroke, uh, Linda Page, all those people should be executed for an attempt to overthrow the president of the United States, the elected president of the United States, not, not opposing him in the next election but simply to overthrow a, through bureaucracy and through lies and manipulation and fraud, overthrow the president. They should be killed. They should be executed. It shouldn't be allowed to do that. But Lynn is free. He's a traitor. Should have had the death penalty. He's now free to return to his own ways. Government says he'll be closely monitored. When have you ever heard that said before? The government said he's going to be closely monitored. And then he goes out and commits some kind of funky deal again. Right? 
It's interesting they captured him over there. I think I think the journalist it was was it Nick Pearl? I think it was. I remember he had a wife and I think he maybe had a kid as well. Disgusting. Totally disgusting. Well, this is another deal where we have communists running wild and uh, these people that are part of Antifa. So this activist down in Berkeley, she's a school teacher in the Berkeley Unified School District. And her name is Yvette Falarka. And I wonder sometimes whether judges have any righteousness at all because they seem to consistently uh, blow my mind in terms of any semblance of wisdom or, or justice or righteousness. But a U.S. district judge in California, of all places, awarded Judicial Watch $22,000 in legal fees in a case filed by Antifa organizer Yvette Falarka in an effort to block Judicial Watch from obtaining information about her activities. So Judicial Watch is a group of attorneys that look into government activities and anti-government activities to expose corruption. Yvette Falarka is a middle school teacher in Berkeley Unified School District. Can you imagine this? You're, you're, there's kids like your kids sitting in her classes. Can you imagine what she's saying to them? She is a part of the Marxist Revolutionary Workers League, or known as BAMN, by any means necessary. In other words, throw overthrow the government by any means necessary. BAMN the Marxist Revolutionary Workers League. And they go around and they protest any conservative speaking engagements. So when I used to be at Sac State College for a couple of years, they had all kinds of speakers, from conservative to, to radical, Black Panthers, all kinds of people come on and speak. Now, if you're conservative, if the, if the, if the co- college does not pro- prohibit you from speaking, even though they're supposed to be quote-unquote tolerant, then people like the Marxist Revolutionary Workers League, by any means necessary, they will make it impossible for you to speak. They will whistle, scream, blow loud horns, and uh, disrupt the whole event, right, to stop free speech, right? Falarka and two of her allies were arrested and charged with several crimes, including felony assault for inciting a riot in Sacramento, Earlier this year, Falarka was ordered to stand trial for the assault. So, um, anyway, uh, she filed what they call a, a frivolous lawsuit. That means there was no merit to it, and she just did it to harass these people. And I love it when uh, the government will finally, I think it's wrong for people to not have to pay for it, attorney costs uh, when they file a frivolous lawsuit and lose. If they file it and win it, and they were right all along, then it wasn't frivolous. But if they file a lawsuit to harass people, you know, many of these liberals, what they'll do is they try to punish you with a lawsuit and you give up because you can't afford to fight it. But the judge uh, ordered here to pay uh, 
she actually sued Berkeley Unified School District as well. And so she's going to have to pay about $24,000 and probably like a lot of criminal-type corrupt people like, remember, Tawana Brawley, who Al Sharpton claimed was found in a dumpster and was raped by white guys, right? And it was all a fraud. Not one piece of evidence was true, and one of the cops involved in the deal was put pressure on him. He ended up ending his own life. The assistant district attorney lost his job. And the assistant district attorney in the Tawana Brawley case filed an action, and he won a suit against Tawana Brawley that she had gone decades of trying to hide to uh, not pay him. But he got a, he went through a divorce, lost his job, and was totally innocent. And actually, he won a suit against a number of black leaders in the United States uh, because they were all liars which they usually are, right? They're liars. And uh, they're just making money off harassing people and making up stories. So that's uh, Falarka and uh, Mr. Lynn. Remember him, John Walker Lynn. Let's see how long he stays out and keeps his, as they say, his nose clean. It's an interesting term, isn't it? Keep your nose clean. They used to be popular at one time. Uh, let's see. I wanted to mention um, uh, since the other day uh, I wrote I wrote this article about getting up in the morning in Marysville and you got to check see if you got any bodies laying out in the front lawn, which I had one right next door to me, just over the actually within twenty feet of my front thirty feet of my front door, and a guy was laying there. I thought, oh, why why bother? The police aren't going to have anything. You know, there's no enforcement anymore because of the politics. It's not that the police are bad. It's the politics of the thing. So uh, anyway, didn't think it was anything more we could do about it. So I just let it go. And then he started vomiting, vomiting all over himself and all over the sidewalk, laying there drunk out of his mind. And uh, so anyhow, my neighbor called the police and the fire and they all rolled up sirens, lights, all that kind of nonsense and so they picked him up hauled in the hospital. Nobody cleaned off the mess. So I went over there and, and hosed it off. But, uh, you know, just they told me what you do when there's toxic waste is if you can dilute it, that's your best approach. Uh, so I noticed this doctor was on a uh, local talk show down in L.A., and he, he made a prediction. His name's Dr. Drew Pinsky, P-I-N-S-K-Y. Penn Ski. And he was on the Brian Kilmeade show. I guess he's Brian Kilmeade is a uh, Fox News radio talk show guy. Airs on Fox Nation. Brian Kilmeade show. And Drew Pensky was talking about the horrific third world conditions on the streets of America's second largest city. And uh, he credited it with the neglect of politicians. And uh, he said, I've lived in a great state of California, the utopia that is California, which is a nightmare, Pinsky said. This utopia, quote unquote, is a nightmare. I want to give you a prediction here, he said. There will be a major infectious disease epidemic this summer in L.A. 
Hold that thought. Write it down. Let's see. We're here, right? This is June 1. Pinsky said uh, he believes that the conditions in L.A. equals the conditions in medieval Europe. Filth in the streets, sewage, right? Sick people. And uh, he compared the local politicians of L.A. to Nero, the infamous Roman emperor who allegedly fiddled while his nation burned to the ground. Now, that's what politicians are doing today. People are people, human beings who God created are strung out on dope, drinking themselves to craziness, going through DTs, vomiting, rolling around the streets, pooping their pants. And, and we just cannot do anything about it. We can't take them to the hospital, incarcerate them. You know, in Rhode Island, I was watching a uh, documentary, I think it was Rhode Island, where they're, we're picking people up, and they got a crime against them, and they, they side-door them out into, into a drug rehab. They give them a drug rehab. And some of those people that would have been allowed, we'd allow them to lay on the streets in California. They are, they are saying this is the first time in their life anybody ever invested in them and got them clean, and they're glad that they got a, a second lease on life. But no, 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 we're not going to do that here. We're going to let you have the freedom to get, you know, it's like uh, Walter Williams, the economic professor emeritus at George Mason University. He says, whatever you want more of, fund it. What you want less of, tax it. So uh, politicians tax booze and cigarettes, uh, but they fund addiction, right? They fund it. And they fund people that don't want to go to work. Let's call it welfare. So Dr. Pinsky says we have tens of thousands of people living in tents. Horrible conditions. Horrible sanitation. Rats, he said, have taken over the city. So what do rats come to? They come to garbage. Garbage that isn't being managed carefully. And so rats then become diseased. And then they spread the disease. Then it gets into the human strain. You remember... SARS and and that broke out in Hong Kong. I actually took a team to smuggle Bibles right in the middle of SARS epidemic. You could have thrown a rock. You could go into any restaurant in Hong Kong. Nobody would be in there. We we had first in line everywhere. Cheap food because people thought they're going to die in Hong Kong, and uh, it got up into Beijing. Lots of people were dying over there. They couldn't figure out how they're getting sick. Called SARS. Well, the reason they got sick was a cat called the civet cat, got diseased. And then the Chinese ate that civet cat, and it got into the, the jump from the animal kingdom over into the human kingdom, and it just started killing people left and right, whatever this funky stuff was. And it killed a lot of people in this high-rise. In Hong Kong, they had these 35-story high-rises. So once it got started, a lot of people in the high-rise, man, it was just killing them left and right. So, uh, so rats... Uh, when you live really close together, these different things can multiply things really quick, like rodents. So Pinsky says we're, we're the only city in the country, L.A., without a rodent control problem. Now, I don't know whether that uh, without a rodent control program. Now, this is interesting because when I was in India, <clears throat> I learned that they were banned from killing rats. And because rats in the Hindu religion are actually a god, the Hindu religion believes there's something like 300 million gods. And they actually, 
in some temples, they have statues of rats, real, a rat statue that they worship. So you, they don't kill cows because they're holy. Remember the term holy cow? Holy cow. You could also do holy rat. So the rats are, they don't kill them. And so they claim that even though they, they grow a lot of food in India, they have lots of farmers, but the rats, they claim, eat up about 25% of the grain. Stupid, huh? Seems stupid from over here. So Pinsky says, Dr. Pinsky says, we have a multiple rodent-borne, flea-borne illness plague called typhus. You ever get a typhus shot? I have. I've, when I've gone to Africa, they said, you got to have this shot and that shot and the other shot or we're not going to let you go. I can't remember all the shots, but I think typhus was one of them. Pinsky says, we're going to have louse, like lice, louse-borne illness, like the louse or the lice gets on the rat, then it gets in your kid's hair. Right? If measles breaks into that population, we have, we have tuberculosis exploding. Literally, our politicians are like Nero. It's worse than Nero, Pinsky said. These people are idiots. Homelessness and trash are a growing problem for residents in L.A. And as the garbage piles up, so do the rats, fueling the concerns about flea. Well, I said lice. It's flea. But I think louse means lice. But I don't know. Flea-borne typhus. Anyway, whether it's a flea or lice, they're little bitty deals. But they can pack a punch if they get on you and give you a little bite. Pinsky said the city's homeless situation and sanitation crisis are out of hand and politicians are doing nothing. Why is that not surprising? He believes the mentally ill will suffer the most and the officials are not reacting to that eventual epidemic. It's like nothing. I've, this is amazing when a doctor says something like this. It's like nothing I've ever seen in my life. I feel like I'm on a train track wait. I, well, I won't finish that. So I'll, I'll uh, jump to this. Uh, anyway, it's interesting. Here's what I want to do. I want to take away qualified immunity from the politicians so we can go after them for reckless negligence. Is that, don't you feel that way with politicians? I don't care what problem, whether it's the border, the open border, sanctuary city, uh, homeless people crapping and dying. We would rather let, let a guy die in his sin, right? Die in his addiction. Then take him into a rehab and deal with him, right? It's just so incredible. Now, there's Trump. Uh, has been has been uh, pardoning some people, and we had a deal at church the other day where we were encouraged to advocate him to pardon. I think they call him the Raven Twenty Three, and I didn't do the research on to tell you all the details about it. But they they were a team of soldiers asked to go in and do a mission, and after the mission, they uh, they I guess some of them were captured. And uh, in Iran or Iraq, and they were held there, and then America ended up getting them back, but promised to incarcerate them for many years if they just give them back to us. So the fact is, 
It was a military operation. They did their job, but now are sitting in prison. But if you remember a number of years ago, there was a photo. This is all, remember the anything that happened under Obama, if you deserted, you were a hero. If you did extraordinary heroic efforts, uh, they needed to arrest you for it, right? So that's the Raven 23 group. And also, do you remember there was a group of men that after they shot a bunch of Taliban, after they had killed their friends, uh, the Taliban had killed their friends, they, they went back after them and killed them all. And then they, they needed to pee, so they peed on the bodies of the dead dead men. Remember that? And oh my God, like how dare you uh, not act like you're at a dinner party in New York, New York, and all sissified. But you're actually over there risking your life, and you need to take a piece, so you want to be indignant to your enemy and disrespect them So because they're terrorists. They're not just the enemy, they're terrorists. So you take a pee on them, right? So some real uh, military guys with no Spaldings, they went after them, and they wanted to make an example out of them. They didn't treat them as if... And, and let them go through a court, a military court, where they were impartial, innocent till proven guilty. But they wanted to destroy their lives, right? So, but recently, a military court dismissed charges against one of them, a former Marine Scout sniper who pled guilty. He pled guilty to urinating on the dead. He said, I did. I peed on all those guys. And, uh, a finding that former Commandant General John James Amos had illegally interfered with the legal process at the outset. So here's what General James Amos. James, James Amos got so infuriated at these Marines for doing this that he uh, interfered in the legal process and removed one of the hearing officers uh, because he said he wanted to destroy their lives. And so... Uh, one of the uh, the men, sniper, uh, Staff Sergeant Joe Chamblin, was reduced in rank to sergeant, ordered to pay $500 after he pled guilty to charges stemming from the 2011 incident in Afghanistan, which became a national scandal. Out of those darn rats. I, I wish they'd have pissed on every one of those people. I wish they'd have put a, a pig's nose in their mouth. Uh, after the video of the Marines urinate on bodies was posted on YouTube, but neither Chamlin nor his defense attorney knew at the time that Amos had placed Lieutenant General Thomas Waldhauser as the first convening authority in the case after telling Waldhauser that he wanted the Marines involved with that urination industry to be crushed. In other words, he told them, destroy these guys. And he wanted them dis discharged. And uh, so they found out that behind the scenes there was conspiracy not to be fair with these guys, but to actually destroy their lives. So once that came out, um, it said this was a flagrant example of unlawful command influence. We find that unlawful command influence, uh, this direct, and occurring at this high level, is highly corrosive to the public trust in this proceeding. 
Wald Hauser wrote that Amos asked him why he did not feel that the accused Marines should be sent to general court-martial, which is reserved for the most serious offenses. When Wald Hauser said he did not believe the case warranted a general court-martial, Amos said he could appoint a new convening authority or a judge, right, different judge. In other words, you either do what I want or you get out of here and I'm going to, I'm going to, in other words, I made up my mind, don't confuse me with the facts. Amos, the guy, the jerk, later admitted he crossed the line and told Waldhauser he was being replaced as convening authority to avoid the appearance of interfering in the case. So I'm going to take one more break and then we're going to wrap this up. And this is a really cool prayer by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you won't believe he's a Democrat because he believes in God and calls out to God uh, prior uh, to the D-Day. And I don't even know, I maybe need to go back and talk about that D-Day thing. I think I forgot about doing that, but I'll check it out. Let me get you over here to this and play this clip, and then we'll be right back. In the street, singing songs. And they carry inside Mostly say Hooray for our side It's time to stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down My fellow Americans In this poignant hour I ask you to join with me in prayer Almighty God Our sons Pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces, but we shall return again and again. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom as we rise to each new day and again when each day is spent. Let words of prayer be on our lips.
God, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I love that that prayer that he prayed. Uh, and I, w- I was talking about uh, Joe Chamblin's defense, and uh, it said that some of Amos's this this terrorist that works for the government and Obama probably appointee undermined the general public's confidence in the. Have you ever felt like the the local judges are corrupt and it undermines your confidence, right? In, in the general justice of the United States. Some of Amos other actions that said undermine the general public's confidence in the proceedings, independence and impartiality, such as holding a briefing that included pictures of the Marines pissing on Taliban corpses. I think that's a great deal. I wish I had a picture to put in my house Uh, with the words, what is, under the needs the, the Marines urinating on Taliban corpses, what does America think of her Marines today? Now, what the Obama wanted to do is have little sissies with with little teeny penises and no no spaldings, right? Uh, and like little girly boys, right? Remember Schwarzenegger called them girly boys. That Obama wanted girly boys. So if you wanted to have sex with a guy, or you want to have sex with a whether you want a guy have sex with a girl or sex with a guy, we could work it, we could work that out, right? Up the back, whatever. So the court agreed with Chamlin's defense that an impartial observer would believe that Amos and the Corps, the Marine Corps attorneys, severely and systematically interfered with the legal proceedings. Isn't this amazing? Here we are in 2019. This poor guy, he he goes to the Marines, Joe Chamblin. He's a sniper. He devotes his life, and he's in harm's way. And because he he gets so incited and angry at the Taliban for what they did to their fellow Marines, I, I mean, I th- I like the fact that our Marines act this way. I want some rugged Marines, right? If I was a Marine, if I could redu- roll my odometer back and become a Marine, I would be the first to piss on a corpse. I would. I think that's a great idea. I think they should teach it. I think they should practice it at Marine basic training, how to get it out and get a good head of steam, a good flow, and just hose down the corpses, right, to just tell them what we're going to do about it. That's what I think. 
So way to go, Joseph Chamblin. I don't know what became of the other guys. There's one, two, three, four. In this photo, I can see one, two, three, four. And, you know, just like in the 16-year-old guys that had their MAGA hacks fuzzed out, they they did not show the penises of these Marines. They fuzzed them out on this photo for respectability's sake. So God bless the, the U.S. Marine Corps. So I wanted to go back up. I'm a little spacey. I did this show once before, and it didn't turn out right. The, the, the system didn't work. So I can't remember what I did and what I didn't do uh, this time versus last time and what I skipped over. But I told you that I was interested in uh, talking about the media today, and I've played a number of clips, but D-Day, I don't think I talked about this. I did it on the previous show, but it didn't didn't record correctly. So uh, anyway, this coming week, this week on June 6th, it commemorates, it's the day, it's the anniversary of June 6th, 1944. Now, I mentioned before that when our fathers and mothers went to war, our grandfathers and grandmothers went to war in the 1940s, they didn't ever know when that war was going to end. And they knew that the only, the only thing that would be acceptable uh, was winning at all costs. And so, amazingly, 160,000 Allied troops landed along 50-mile stretch. And uh, so 9,000 Allied soldiers were killed or wounded, but it allowed, I think I maybe covered this earlier, but 100,000 soldiers began the fight to eradicate Europe of Adolf Hitler's crack troops. Now, it's interesting, that's June 6, 1944, and I can't remember the exact day that peace was declared in 1945, right? So so in, about a year later or less, uh, or maybe it was a little over a year, we were able to win the war. But the, the numbers, the sheer numbers of ships and aircraft, 5,000 ships, 13,000 aircraft, amazing. Amazing. I just think it's amazing. And uh, I, I'm just... Uh, so proud of the people that were were involved in that and it is so impressive and uh it's you know sometimes people get upset about memorial day right and they say hey people don't even know what they're doing on memorial day they don't know what it's about uh they just think it's about car races and barbecues and stuff I think people should know what, what Memorial Day is, that we're remembering those that gave their life. At the same time, I don't think we need to be morose over it or in the depth of despair. I think those guys and gals that fought, whether they fought in the 1700s or 1800s or 1900s, they fought against the Span in the Spanish-American War or the Vietnam War, Korean War, wherever they fought— they would have been barbecuing today, too. We're all fighting and standing up and paying taxes and supporting and sending care packages, whether it's a Blue Star Mom or Gold Star Moms or, you know, whatever group it is. 
remembering people at Christmas time on these bases that are underpaid, uh, we're at Memorial Day where we have the freedom, the rare freedom that most countries do not have to sit down and have a barbecue or go fishing and not be asked where you're going or go traveling a little bit. My friends in Vietnam who I work with, they'll be over there in July, uh, they get called by the police and they say, how come you have those people living at your house? They can't live there. They don't belong here. They don't live in Saigon. They're, they're from the village. Send them back to the village. They, don't, they can't even visit. We want you to come down to the office. We want to interrogate you. What are you doing? Where you been? How come you went to Laos? Uh, they go out to the village. They're in every village. And people get ready. They can see they're packing up to go. And they say, where are you going? We're going to go to Saigon. Why do you go down there? You don't need to go down there. You're a farmer. You're poor. You don't belong in Saigon. You're not those people. Stay back. You don't. We're not going to let you go. Go home. That's just the way it is in Vietnam. They monitor everything. It's a police state. So if we get a chance to sit down with our family members and enjoy a meal and have some fun, play games, play baseball, and enjoy the life, it'd be a shame if we, we didn't actually enjoy the life that these men and women died to give us. I was thinking I, uh, about uh, Steve Sneller, who I went to high school with at Marysville High School, and in just a, a year and a half after we graduated— he got killed in Vietnam. I think he was only in the country very short time, maybe less than a month. And uh, he was killed. And it just, a, just it wasn't that long ago we graduated. We walked the stage together. And all our people were either could you could go to college. You couldn't go to work because they would draft you. So you could go to college and get a deferment, or you had to join the military. You are already part of the selective service system. And so you could choose the branch of the military you wanted. He chose the Marines, or they would just tell you where they're going to send you, right? Most of them went to the Army. But uh, some wanted to go certain places because of certain benefits they were seeking. He chose the Marines. But as soon as he got to Vietnam, he died. Now, uh, on the Facebook that I'm connected with, a number of people I graduated from high school with, they were posting members that they knew from our class that had in nearby classes I think that died in Vietnam it was a sobering memory sobering memory but you know thank God that people can enjoy the freedoms we have in America which are if you get out much you're going to notice that uh, you're not going to find them much anywhere now the sickening thing is that we have these communist legislators. Seems like a lot of women go to Cuba and then just come back and praise how wonderful it is there. They're so full of baloney. I think the the latest model cars from the 1950s, not because they're into oldies, which they are cool cars, but because no one can afford anything new. And now... Cuba, because of the collapse of Venezuela, who was giving them cheap oil because they're fellow socialists, and the collapse of every time another communist or socialist collapsed, Cuba collapses. When Russia collapsed in 1989 or 90, 
Cuba, then they were all getting handouts. They were living socialists live on handouts. You understand this? Handouts. And when they run out of the handouts, the shells go bare. And they start, then even rich people pick through the garbage. And they kill, they kill the uh, pets. And they kill the zoo animals. You know, when I first started going to Vietnam, I noticed there were very few. Uh, no one had any pets. You with me? No one could afford to have a pet. All the money was in feeding humans. And once in a while, you would see what I'd call, I used to joke and call them third world dogs. I said, that dude is not going to be a law alive long because they would kill that thing and eat it. They were eating the dogs. In fact, I was riding with a lady one day and she was trying to convince me that a black dog was the better tasting dog. If you had a black dog, a brown dog and a white dog, the black dog always was better tasting. I thought I have it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm not going to do a taste test. I'm not interested in eating a dog. But they ate the dogs over there. Now, today it's 2019. And I, I notice every time I'm in Vietnam now, people have pets, these little cute dogs. And they're not like, uh, I was going to call them a scoundrel, but a mongrel. They are not mongrels. They're like these little breed dogs, you know, special breed dogs. And, uh, and they're all the, the rage. Well, the reason when people can afford a pet, that means they got, they're feeding their belly first. In fact, in Vietnam, in the Vietnamese greeting, the greeting literally means, have you eaten when they greet you? And uh, the reason is, is they, they starved in that country. And so the common greeting was when they saw you was, have you eaten? If you haven't, they feed you. In fact, today, if I'm communicating on Viber or in any Skype or even email, they will inquire, what time is it there? And have you eaten, Lou? My friends over there say, so have you eaten dinner? Have you eaten breakfast? It's just a common courtesy where they want to make sure everybody got a little food because not everybody was. This is socialism, people. This is what a lot of you are fighting for and want. Now, this uh, right now there's shortages. Cuba was already having shortages, but now they're blaming it on the U.S. Now, why is it our fault? You wanted to be a socialist country, and why is it our? We're not like dropping bombs on you, but because we live 90 miles away from there. Somehow we're causing a collapse in the economy. It's like everybody blames the U.S. So Israel Hildago, Hidalgo and his wife left home around 730 in the morning, this article says, to go to a supermarket on the other side of Havana because they heard it might be selling some chicken. And uh, and they said there was such a line that people were elbowing each other fighting for the chicken. Now, if you go to a socialist country, communist country, People have to line up. Like when I went to Russia right after the fall of communism, we wanted to go buy some groceries because we, we rented an apartment and we hired a couple of Russians and we were setting up a language translation operation in Russia to translate Christian literature into English. I mean, sorry, into, into Russian from English. And so we went down to get some groceries so we could cook at home. And... Um, Here's how it went. You lined up outside. Somebody came and talked to you. You wrote out what you wanted on a piece of paper. You did not go get to choose anything from a variety of brands. They either had bread, you got bread. 
potatoes, you got some potatoes. You didn't get to pick them, they picked them. You gave them a list. They brought the bag back. No, you gave them a list. They told you how much you pay. You paid them. You fronted the money, fronted the list. Then they brought all the stuff out in the bag. Now, there was no pilfering going on there, right? In fact, in these socialist countries, they'll just shoot you, right? You think, oh, I, I have rights. You don't have any damn rights. You don't have any. So, uh, so now... Things are worse off than ever. This Israel Hidalgo, he says, we were born. This is so sad. And people just are okay with this. Some of you are okay with this. You were, you'd be okay with this. I am not okay with this, and I will shoot somebody over it. I don't have any problem with fighting over these things. He said, we were born in this revolution and are used to rough times. It's one thing to go through a revolution and have 10 years of rough times. But this guy has lived his entire life. This is in the 1950s, people. He says, we are bracing ourselves for it to get worse. This is a 61-year-old blacksmith. We don't even have blacksmiths in the United States, for goodness sakes. Long lines outside shops with mostly bare shells are increasingly common in Cuba. Where have we heard this before? Will people, some of you university people, fly to Venezuela, please, and do some humanitarian work down there and see if you can't help their diet because the average person, they claim, has lost nearly 25 pounds. Now, I know up here you would love that because your butt looks like a meteorite attached to your rear end. So, uh, it's so... Such a hypocritical bunch of criminal liars. President Miguel Diaz-Canel accused the Trump administration of engaging in financial persecution. These guys are so full of crap. The economy has already stagnated in recent years in tandem with the implosion of strategic ally Venezuela. So here's what's happened. They just bail each other out by giving, giving it's just more welfare. Right. Instead of corporate welfare or government welfare, it's country to country welfare. So they don't have basics. What are basics? Eggs, chicken, bread. You eat those kind of things. How about fuel? Do you use any fuel? I use all this stuff. But here's a guy that speaks with a little common sense. Interior Commerce Minister Betsy Diaz said two weeks ago that the government would temporarily ration sales of a handful of basic products in Look, we're talking, when is the last time you got any rationed? I can't even remember the last time we, in 1974, we had gas rationing. And I got involved in that. So they're rationing eggs. You only have a certain amount of eggs a month. And they're they're being handed out. You know, they're busting out the 1959 Revolution rationing books. Is this amazing? Do you remember any rationing books at the time of the American Revolution? Hell no. Hell no. No rationing books. This is communism we're talking about. 1959 Revolution rationing books. Things like eggs and some chicken and bread. So everyone will get their fair share. You know what your fair share is? Hardly anything. Hardly anything. When I went to Russia... We hired a uh, interpreter, female, very attractive, 
had a couple little kids, no husband, went through a divorce or something. And and they would they would do anything for five dollars, ten dollars. I mean, a doctor would work for a whole month for twenty five, thirty five dollars. Total. The entire economy was toast. And she said, just come over and she says, you sleep at my house. They because they were trying to do they that was the first Airbnb. They said, just come over and sleep at my house. If you'll pay me something, you can stay at my house. I'll take care of you. And we did. And we hired her to do our translation work for a while because she interpreted for us at some meetings we did over there. And uh, she was an entrepreneur. She was trying to keep enough money for her, she, her children and her to survive. Some Cuban, now here's the truth. Some Cuban economists say the developing crisis stems fundamentally from an inefficient, centrally planned economy. I want you to hold that thought. Centrally planned economy. Whenever the government centrally plans, they screw everything up. There's a shortage whenever the government centrally plans. There's a shortage of water right now. Farmers have land they can't farm. Why? Because California politicians centrally plan the water, and they said that half of it needs to go to the ocean for the benefit of the fish. They're assholes, those politicians. That's what they are. Centrally planned economy that imports more than t can you imagine this is cuba this is a temperate climate tropical climate they can grow food down there when you have a centrally planned economy there's nobody that has any incentive to work hard to get ahead to produce to work extra hours to do anything because you're going to get you're going to get the fair share right you work your rear off, you get the same 20 bucks as the guy next door who's an alcoholic, who drinks all day. So why do you want to work it hard, right? Unless you want to do, work the black market. Centrally planned economy that imports more than two-thirds of its food needs. They're two-thirds of all the food needs, and we have liberal politicians going down there thinking this is really great. Are these people nutso or what? They call rationing little more than a short-term solution, the economists. They say the government must open up a series of market-oriented reform. That's code word for capitalism. Market-oriented means people own their own business. They have their own tire shop. They have their own plot of land and sell t potatoes or beans or whatever. Or they have a couple cows and they sell milk. They, have, they keep all the profits instead of turning it into the government. Cuba has enacted some economic reforms in recent years, including expanding the private sector from two. Anyway, I go on and on. You know, people, unless you're going to get this, you're if if you're listening to this today. This is let me do this and I'll make some final comments. Cubans, it says, are going hungry like they did during the so-called special period. Isn't that like exciting? Cubans are are not going hungry like they did during the special period. Well, what was the special period? Well, that was after the collapse of the Soviet Union because for the benefit of doing what the Soviet Union wanted, like having a missile crisis and bringing and trying to destroy the U.S. and getting, they would pay them off for it and bring in shiploads of food. When the Soviet Union collapsed, that was called the special period. Uh, but now people are increasingly 
connected by the Internet and foreign travel. Many have grown weary of government attempts to blame the U.S. embargo for bulk of... Honestly, people, honestly, a lot of you are just, you're stupid. You're ignorant. You're stupid. You're lame. You have no idea where you came from. You have no idea what, why this country is prosperous. You, don't, you, you can't spell constitution. Uh, people could steal your lunch and pop the sack, and you wouldn't know whether you're coming and going. In fact, if there's a crisis in this country, you would starve. You, you probably are paper pusher at some business. You wouldn't know how to cook, create some food. You're, you're not producing anything of worthwhile in this country. You're not. All you're doing is a bureaucrat pushing paper. There's nothing you're offering anybody that's making their life any better. What you're doing, most bureaucrats I know, is making my life a misery, right? I remember when I used to farm pomegranates. And all I, they were like vultures, little people with tablets or, or uh, clipboards in little white trucks driving, circling around the orchard to make sure I was doing it just the way they felt it was politically correct. Make sure the little pooper for the workers was just the exact amount of feet from the workers where they were moving across the orchard to make sure there was toilet paper all the time, even though that the workers stole the toilet paper to make sure that there was plenty of ice water, to make sure that my mix on my spray was just exact. If, in, if there's a crisis in this country, not one of those government bureaucrats would survive a month. Why? Because they don't offer anything of goods and services to society, right? They can't fix a tire. They can't fix a car. They can't sew a shirt. They can't, they can't generate some eggs or some, some uh, vegetables. They don't do anything to promote. All they do is it's a giant sucking sound for the majority of our government. Just sucking the private sector creates the wealth and the, the government just is this giant sucking sound like a, uh, a food grinder in your sink. Just sucking the, the wealth out of the private sector, grinding it up and spitting out as pulp at the other end. They don't create a damn thing. The government, just a giant sucking sound, just like a leech on the thigh of a Vietnam infantryman in Vietnam, just sucking the blood out of them and not accomplishing one thing, but just getting fat on the blood of somebody else. That's what's going on in this country. That's what's going on in Cuba. And we have more and more people that think this is a good idea. Just give the government more and more money, and they are going to... Uh, Make your life and, and meet your every need, right? Meet your every need. That will be the end of you. If you think government is going to meet your every need, you are just totally insane. Now, uh, there is a, I don't know whether I even have time to do this. Uh, San Clemente, watch the news for San Clemente. You know how these cities, one after another, well, we can't do anything. We can't arrest all homeless people because that judge, that federal judge at the Ninth Circuit or somewhere, you know, they rule that unless you provide free housing and free everything and you hold their penis while they pee, 
uh, they're not going to be able. They're going to they're going to file a lawsuit if we do anything, and we we can't tell people to not poop at your house and and like rape your kid and everything. We just got to let them. We just got to let them go wild, and then we'll try to do something. Well, in San Clemente, the city council voted unanimously that they're moving an encampment and they're moving to an fenced-in area. It reminded me of. Bob Bendorf's Bendorf Zoo over here at 14 Sideways. And they're just saying, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to put you indoors. We're just going to move you into a fenced-in area where you can't go nutso. And, uh, and the title of the article, Cities Are Not Obligated to Destroy Themselves. If you have wondered whether the city of Marysville doesn't have in its... Uh, objectives for 2019-2020 to destroy itself, uh, you might want to, maybe you're thinking that they do because we're just going down the tubes. So anyway, uh, this is an article published in the Orange County Register written by a gal named Susan Shelley on May 25th, and it shows one of these typical homeless camps. I'm telling you what, this is the, it's the definition of insanity you got to look at this photo, a homeless encampment on in Sepulveda Basin in Encino. And I'm telling you, the San Clemente City Council said, we're not going for this. And we're going to we're going to move. We're going to they the homeless set up in this right on this parking lot, man. They just took over this whole parking area. And they're and finally, the city council said, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to move you over here to a courtyard. And you're either going in there or you're going out of town, dude, and uh, the party's over. So if you want to read it, go to the Orange County Register. And, uh, in fact, that used to be owned by Freedom Newspapers, which also owned the local paper here in, in Marysville called the Appeal Democrat. And it was sort of the flagship paper. of the. They owned about 50 papers back then, back when papers were really the thing. So cities are under no obligation to destroy themselves. That may be the cry, the cry or the banner cry of the future for cities who, who are just kowtowing, as they say, bending over and feeling a sharp spot between their butt cheeks and uh, getting screwed by stupid judges who have lost their ever-living mind. So uh, anyway, uh, if you see somebody out there, a new person that's new to you, treat them right because... They may be an angel, the Bible says, and you, they may be there unaware, and you need to treat them right, treat them kindly. So, you know, do something to help somebody this week. Uh, there may be somebody that's going through a tough time in your neighborhood, getting a divorce. Maybe their kid's having a real tough time, or maybe they their dad died or mom died, and they need a little loving. So, anyway, if you want to get a hold of me, you can write me at lou at nohostagesradio.com. You can text me at 530-713-1838. And if you want to tap into some of my articles and stuff, you can go to nohostagesradio.com. You can, uh, however you got here, if you haven't got onto a podcast, you can sign up for the podcast. And... Uh, and then they will notify you when we have a new one up. So this one, this one should be up on June 1. So have a good day. Have a good June. And remember those that are serving us in the local law enforcement and in our military throughout the world. God bless you. See you later. Everybody. 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 Everybody.
Someone to love. Someone to love. Sweetheart to miss. Sweetheart to miss. 